Hey, this is Matt Greenberg, screenwriter of Halloween H2O. You are listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. October horror fans and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 184, the third of five weekly episodes for the 2019 Halloween season leading right up to All Hallows Eve itself. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons. Thank you to all the ghosts and ghouls who support us in any way for making this show possible. Normally on Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classic films and new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. I am the Gill Man, Joel Robertson, and my creepy consortium of cohorts are... Hey, it's Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolf, man, Josh. My mom and dad are going to be so bad at me. We typically do two types of shows on HMP. Our infamous theme discussions where we pick a horror topic or subgenre to really sink our teeth into, and our Frankensteinian shows where we just discuss whatever horror films we've been watching lately. 90% of our shows throughout the year fall into one of those categories. But at Halloween time, we do things a little differently. In the past, your HMP horror hosts have brought you complete franchise reviews of Halloween, Scream, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and more. This year, we decided to try something new for Samhain. Every week this October, each of your horror hosts will be bringing you our top 10 movies for a particular decade. This week's episode, it's our top 10 horror movies of the 1990s. We'll also be bringing you some fun additional segments for your Halloween season, so stick around. If this is your first time listening, this is a pretty atypical episode, and we recommend you check out the themed episodes on the sidebar at HorrorMoviePodcast.com to get a taste of our usual creepy content. And without further ado, let's get into it. All right, so here we are. We're ready to do our 1990s lists. I will say that for me, this one was easier in some ways than I thought it would be and harder in some ways than I thought it would be. What about you guys? Yeah, I agree. I think it was, um, it, I changed it around quite a bit. Let's just put it that way. I labored over my eighties and seventies lists. Uh, this list I made in about three minutes. I, <laughs> I Googled nineties horror films and had my list done within two to three minutes. Wow. Wow. But that was my top 10. But then I said, okay, well then what will my honorable mentions be? And then all of a sudden I got completely bogged down when I started looking at all these other movies that weren't as obvious to me. And that's the thing. I think in the nineties, I, I wasn't really a very strong horror fan. I thought, 
you know, I'm definitely one of those people that thinks, oh, the 90s was a bad decade for horror. I think especially coming out of the 70s and 80s, which were such strong decades. And so when I watched horror movies in the 90s, I was usually watching 80s horror movies. And I think my 90s horror movie tastes are pretty mainstream. Like, they're not very... There aren't too many deep cuts on my list. Like, they're, they're definitely, like, the biggest movie that was in theaters that year kind of list. And so when I realized that, and as I started seeing some other films in my top, like, 2030, I thought, yeah, maybe, I don't know, do I want to work these into my top 10? These are actually more interesting films. But then I figured, you know what? Screw it. We're doing our favorite films. This is this is the reality of the situation. I'm just going to go with my top 10 favorite movies. So. <laughs> I, I, I've had uh, at least four of my honorable mentions were at one time in my top 10. Going back and thinking, okay, which one should be in the list? Which one should be in the honorable mentions? Yeah, I went back and forth quite a bit. Yeah, I will say that for me, because I get four honor- honorable mentions this time, thank God. I have two <laughs> that I, I told this today before you got on, Josh, that two of them are movies that are deep, deep sentimental favorites. You know, because I, I, I refuse to say guilty pleasure. They are sentimental right. favorites for me. And I really, these are movies that if I couldn't see again, I would be very sad, right? But I cannot remotely in good conscience put them on a top 10 list <laughs> for 90s horror movies <laughs> because I I, 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 I just, I, but they, I, I have enough honorable mentions that I feel justified. I will tell you though, these are two that if I hadn't had four, Honorable mention options, they might have ended up on there, and I would just been very uh, like, I, yeah, judge me if you will, hmm. and I'm sure you will, but these are on my list. <laughs> so they're my honorable mentions. They're there. there are probably five or six on my list that are, you know, films that I could not live without as much as anything else on my, you know, 70s or 80s lists. So, I, I you know, as much as I think this was not Horde's strongest decade, there are certainly some standout films that, um, I mean, there were a couple, I think my top two, I mentioned to you guys, I almost feel bad including them. Like, I feel like they probably should have been in my all-time top 10 and they should be excluded from this list because I've talked about them so much on the show, (laughs) but, um, you know, I didn't put them in my top 10. They probably would have been my 11 and 12. So, uh, they're here. Yeah. All right. So you were here doing the nineties list. Dave, do you want to give everybody just a quick recap of, of what this whole experiment is? We have a top list for the 1990s, uh, top 10 with five honorable mentions. However, what we've done is we've given ourselves a little bit of a challenge. If any movie from the 90s was on our official HMP all-time top 10 list, we have to exclude it. We can't talk about that one again. And as a sort of penalty, then we lose one of the honorable mentions. Now, I don't have any 90s movies on my official list, and, and Josh, apparently you don't either. Right. But Joel, you do have one, The People Under the Stairs. Yes. So you, as a result, lose one honorable mention. So anyway, in case you didn't hear the 70s or 80s, that's what we're doing again with the 90s. No, it's just funny, like looking back at my list here, 1987 is the latest of my all-time top 10 list so <laughs> I, yeah I, I even managed to eke into the 90s in my top 10 so <laughs> i'm wide open from here on out so i will go first yes it's your turn to go first i believe all right i will start us off then so my original top 10 list for hmp i have one 1990s movie and that is of course the classic the people under the stairs from 1991 
I love that movie. I will always love that movie. And had I been allowed, it would have probably been my number one on this list as well. But it isn't, <laughs> and it can't be. So we're moving on. All right. So number 10. So my actual number 10. Now this one, this spot, I struggled with quite a bit. Because again, there were quite a few movies that were probably falling into the more obscure range, relatively speaking. I mean, the, all, all the folks listening to the show probably are familiar with them, if not having seen them multiple times. But for, you know, anybody that may stumble across the show and just looking for a horror movie to watch and they're not familiar with them, I thought, yeah, I'd kind of put something obscure on there. But then this movie probably falls into slightly obscure for the wrong reasons <laughs> because it, the, the original release of it was so tampered with. But it is a movie that I have a lot of fondness for. And I only think can attribute it to is the world that is created and the creature effects themselves. And that is Nightbreed from 1990. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting us off strong, kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, not only do you have Cronenberg uh, himself in it playing a serial killer, you have it written and directed by the great Clyde Barker. And honestly, I have to say, I think as much as I love and appreciate Hellraiser, I think this is probably my favorite Clyde Barker movie. I just oh for sure yeah and I think that there's something about the world you know Midian that he creates and just the love and respect he always gives his monsters and the fact that they're the heroes in, in this movie I remember going into a video store right after this was released and seeing some kind of standy uh, promotional material and just being like oh you know I was reading Fangoria so I probably had a passing familiarity with it at that point. Uh, but I just remember thinking, oh, my God, yeah, I've got to see this. And I remember watching it as a kid and being confused. <laughs> I mean, there was definitely some uh, editing issues and such. And I know that, you know, I have not seen the like final ultimate like director's cut that came out not that long ago. I've been wanting to it just time being what it is. Just haven't been able to revisit it. But have either of you gotten to see that yet where they added in? extra stuff i did you did see it it's 20 minutes longer but it has 45 minutes of extra material because he removed 25 minutes that he had to add after the studio interference to sort of connect things yes so it's it's a very different movie and not tonally and not you know story-wise that much but it is a very different movie than what you're probably used to yeah i just feel mm -hmm. like the original it had that Probably unintentional, just due to, like you said, the studio interference and having to make all the cuts he did and the changes. But it had almost this dreamlike logic to it, which really mm -hmm. fit considering the world and everything. But I just remember the effects being right. tremendous. And I just have always had a real fondness for me. So, uh, so Nightbreed 1990 is my number 10. Barker is not my brand of horror generally. There's one of his films that was close to making my top 10 list that is probably the exception to the rule, but I do enjoy a few of them. And Nightbreed is one of the ones that I think is uh, definitely worth people searching out. Yeah. And def definitely the director's cut. Uh, Joel, I'd be interested to hear what you think after you see it, because there are a lot more monsters and a lot oh, more okay. scenes in Midian. Yeah. Peter's been pushing me because he knows how much I love the original, or I'd yeah. say the original, but the original cut and everything. And he's like, oh, you've got to, you have to watch it. I was like, I know, I know, I know. And I, and I would think I was holding out and I know they released it. Was it Shout Factory? Who, who released Shout it? Factory has okay. a has a Blu-ray out yes, of it. Yeah, I, and that's, I need what to I, just, that's what I have. Yeah, I'm Me actually too. I'm right I'm writing it right because I, I for so long had kind of kind of I, I did I did the opposite of uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Shock and Josh in the sense that I was going minimalist and and I've kind of been recurating my library with only Blu-rays and only of movies that 
I really love. Like, like unless I come across a DVD for something that is fantastic, I will pick that up. But I'm usually trying to stick in the Blu-ray realm and I'm trying to really be selective. So I know I need to pick this up. I'm, I'm actually literally, as we talk, I'm writing this down so I can do it after the I, show. I don't, I don't think you'll find it quite like a, a Superman 2 to Richard Donner's Superman 2, gotcha. how different those two movies okay. are. But there are you know, quite a few differences. And I think even pacing wise and just the way that things are put together in, in the director's cut, I personally like that one, um, you know, quite a bit more. Okay. I, I ended up, I ended up enjoying the film and then the mythology behind it uh, a lot more seeing the director's cut. Excellent. All right. So then I guess we'll go to Wolfman for his number 10. Alfred Hitchcock is one of my favorite film directors of all time. And the world that he created with Psycho is, for me, one of my favorite worlds to inhabit. I think the first film stands alone as the only true masterpiece, but I do think the rest of the sequels are interesting. I think the Bates Motel series is interesting, and I love Gus Van Sant's shot-for-shot remake of Psycho from 1998, which is my number 10. I have so much respect for you picking a movie I hate that much. <laughs> no, because I'm just going to say it. The cojones to make that in your top 10 made me, I now feel bad that I didn't have the cojones to include my two sentimental favorites. Because if you're willing to go there. <laughs> it was in my, it was in my honorable mentions for, you know, a few times for that reason. But I just thought, you know what? I hate that movie so much. <laughs> Oh, man, I think it's so interesting to see those characters reinterpreted. Yeah, can I just say this? My, and I know this is your pick. I so apologize for hijacking this. I just have to say this. Vince Vaughn. And, I, and I'm not, I don't, and this is not a hate Vince Vaughn moment. It's him as Norman. Jeremy Davies would have been perfect as Norman. Oh, man. I think Vince Vaughn is the best part of the movie, in my opinion. We will agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are two films that I feel like this about. They're both remakes and they're both universally hated. And I want to do full episodes on them sometime. Definitely Psycho 1998 is one. The Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage is the other. That would be fun. That'd be fun. And I feel like I need to throw down for those movies uh, with all that. I I've respect got, that, yeah. man. No, I mean, I really do. I, I, I love that you love that movie that much, despite knowing that people like me are going to be obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> in our response to your love for that movie. All right, that's my number 10. Nice. All right, cool. Dave? All right, my number 10 is actually from 1999, and it is Stir of Echoes. Mm. Awesome. That's a great one. That is a really fun movie. I, I yeah. enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I did, too. I'm Just to set it up real quick, uh, one night at, at sort of a neighborhood gathering, Tom, sort of a working-class guy played by Kevin Bacon, convinces his sister-in-law, Lisa, Eileena Douglas to hypnotize him. She kind of fancies herself a therapist. Well, she's actually able to do it. Tom goes under for a short while, but when he wakes up, he's not quite the same as he was when he went under. And now that he's been hypnotized, he starts to experience hallucinations, including these quick flashes of this violent crime. He doesn't know what any of it means. And then it takes an even stranger turn when he comes face to face with the ghost of a 17 year old girl, Samantha played by Jennifer Morrison, who's been reported missing for six months. Suddenly, Tom finds himself in the middle of a nightmare he can't wake up from and a missing person's case that some of his neighbors are reluctant to discuss. Now, this features uh, quite a few really, truly scary moments. At least I found mm -hmm. them scary. As, and the unsettling tone, there's an unsettling tone about the film that the director maintains through most of it. 
there are jump scares that in this case I found effective. You know, there's a scene after after his hypnotist being hypnotized, he can't sleep. He's getting all these incoherent images. So Tom goes downstairs to clear his mind and he experiences something that certainly made me jump. And it's one of several times in the movie that happened. But even when I wasn't leaping out of my seat, the movie had me sort of on the edge of it with with the mood that they set up. And and he starts it almost immediately. There's a scene at the beginning where Tom, uh, his son Jake, is taking a bath. And Tom walks out of the room for a moment. And, and Jake, we think he's alone, but he turns to an empty corner of the room and says, does it hurt to be dead? So they kind of set in the, the, the mood right up front. And as the mystery unfolds, you know, the lead character kind of finds he's dealing not only with this ghostly presence, but the reality of a crime that's never been solved and what it means to the community if it is solved. It's a really dark, unnerving ghost story. And it shows you what happens when a seemingly innocent ghostly presence starts to become a little malevolent too. And I think that sort of adds to the film. But this is one that stayed with me for quite a while after the first time I saw it. And I had to put it somewhere on the list. And I figured number 10, originally it was in my honorable mentions. I said, no, I got to put this one up on the list just because of how I just kept going over it. So, yeah, that's my number 10. Nice. I, I really enjoyed that movie. It's a fun, I, you know, it's like slightly in the thriller camp for me. But I, you know, it's fair game here, I think, for sure. It's a ghost story. The two things that I really remember about that were the baby monitor. I loved the way that they had done that. And I mm -hmm. also really love the hypnosis scene is one of the coolest hypnosis scenes, maybe the coolest hypnosis scene ever put to film. I think it's so brilliant the way they did that. Yeah. I wish there was a little bit more imagery like that in the movie. But the other element that I really like about it is it has that close encounters of the third kind element where it's just this dad kind of going crazy and everyone around him is like, are you nuts? Like, what are you doing? I love that. Right. Right. What are you do, What's going on here? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's an excellent pick. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen this since the early two thousands, but I like yeah, it. It's been I a while it. for me too, but I remember loving it quite a bit. Yeah. And then of course it was mm -hmm. based on a Richard Matheson novel and I'm a massive Matheson mm -hmm. fan. So there you go. Nice. Nice. Awesome pick Dave. You guys ready? Number nine. My number nine is a sequel. It is a, the third in a series, and it's following up on a movie that Dave and I agree is one of the most god-awful sequels in the history of horror movies, or all movies, forget that, all movies, period, hands down. So my pick <laughs> is 1990's The Exorcist 3. That is mine, oh. baby. I wow. love this movie, and I just I, I, real quick for those that aren't as familiar, I'll read the IMDb synopsis. A police lieutenant under, uncovers more than he bargained for as his investigation of a series of murders, which have all the hallmarks of the deceased Gemini serial killer, leads him to question the patience of a psychiatric ward. This was written and directed by William Peter Blatty, who, of course, wrote the original novel, The Exorcist, and it's based on a book that he, I believe was Legion, I think is what, he actually wrote the book Legion, which I think was yes. meant to be the more mm -hmm. direct sequel to his original. Um, and then, of course, we got The Heretic. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. And yeah. uh, and Blatty himself hated The Heretic, yes. uh, hated Exorcist to The Heretic, so he ignored everything about it when he did this movie. Good. That's one of the many reasons why this is much better. Now, it's not a perfect movie. You get the sense that this may have had some sort of interference. I don't really remember all the trivia backstory. If, if this was one that was, you know, cut due to censorship or if it was due to just you know studio wanting different things to happen but it stars george c scott 
You've got Brad Dorif is in it. Uh, Jason Miller is not exactly reprising <laughs> his, his role uh, as Father Karras, but it, it's just, it's such a great horror, thriller, creepy movie. And in my opinion, has one of the most, dist- I don't know what it is. I, I've asked many people this because everybody I've talked to has the same reaction to this one scene in the movie. And all I'll say is it involves a hallway a, a still pretty much just a, a lockdown. And I don't think the, the camera might be tracking forward very slowly, but my, my sense is that it was like more like lockdown, the far end of a hallway and a character is checking rooms at night in a hospital. And that's all I'm going to say. And if you know this movie, you know the scene I'm talking mm-hmm. about. And I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, I remember playing that over and over on my VHS for this movie. And just every mm. time I watch it, it would give me the creeps. I would give me chills. There was something about the the music cue, the way it's set up, it, the pacing. I don't know what the hell it is about that moment, but right. that makes this. Oh, it, you know what I'm talking about? It's one of the. It's I think it's one of the best jump scares. Yes. Uh, I mean, it ranks right up there with like the the end of Friday the Thirteenth or the yes. the jail scene in Salem's Lot. Yes. You know, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I would go as far as to say it's the best jump scare ever. That's how far I would go. I would say it's the best jump I scare. Think you, can, you can make that argument. You yeah. can make that it argument. It sticks definitely. with you. It gives you such a feeling of just dread and the creeps. That is my number right. nine pick. That is The Exorcist 3 from 1990. All right. So, Josh, number nine. One of my favorite films of all time is John Carpenter's The Thing. And at the time, well, during the 90s, I was a teenager. And so a lot of these films deal with teenagers. That was definitely. Uh, my state of mind at that time. Also, Scream had just come out, and as a lot of the films that we'll probably talk about tonight, it had a big influence on everything that came afterwards. So combining the thing with Scream and the fact that I was a teenager, the faculty was just like the best thing I could imagine at the time it came out. I just was like blown away that this world existed it was kind of like i wished i went to that high school i wished i (laughs) drove that car i wished i could use a paper cutter in that way i wish jordana brewster uh had gone to my high school as well this was just uh, the perfect storm of influences to just make me absolutely love this movie i think elijah wood is so good at this is josh hartnett's best movie by far, in my opinion, and I just love uh, everything about it. I love the soundtrack, Robert Rodriguez, although this doesn't feel exactly in his wheelhouse. I think this goes a long way to show what he could do if he was kind of applying his skills to other people's screenplays rather than just kind of like living in his own world. And I, and I think he does a great job here with a Kevin Williamson script. And uh, yeah, I love everything about this movie except the CGI. <laughs> <laughs> that really <laughs> bugged me at the time. It still bugs me now. It obviously doesn't hold up very well now. Uh, Fumke Janssen also was my one of my favorite actresses at this time period. So this just had was uh, firing on all cylinders for me. It's a fun movie. It really is. It's 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 a blast. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun watching it too. I really did. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember enjoying it quite a bit as well. Love the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Also, again, one of the, both The Thing and Invasion of the Body Snatchers are my top 10 of all time mm-hmm. list. This movie basically just rips pages right out of both of those books and uh, sets them in an all-American high school and basically in an episode of Friday Night Lights. So it, it works really well, in my opinion. Right. 
Yeah, you definitely get that Invasion of the Body Snatchers vibe from it, and it's a a damn good version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It really is. I think it's in one of, if you were to call it an adaptation, I think it's in the top three versions of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I would agree. All right. Dave, what is your number nine? My number nine has me regretting. I talked you into going first, Joel. It's Exorcist 3. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to add too much to what you already said. I do want to add a couple things. Obviously, yes, I agree. This is the true sequel to The Exorcist. You can watch The Exorcist and Exorcist 3 back to back as a double feature and just ignore number two. I like the dialogue. There's an early exchange between Lieutenant Kinderman and Father Dyer, played by Ed Flanders. They're in the coffee house or something. And just what they're talking about, it was really engaging. And that's not even really getting into the horror of the movie yet. Uh, The story may be a little far-fetched at times, but it was great. And the performances are strong. And one of my favorite Brad Dorff performances in this movie, Mm -hmm. because as he's talking to the priest and the Gemini, Brad Dorff plays what is basically the Gemini killer. And the Gemini killer uh, decapitates his, his victims. That's something you learn early on. He has a line in this movie that it, this line, I, I looked at it on IMDb and I'm like, man, that is such strong stuff. It's, he says, well, now you know what? I don't want to say it. I think I know the part you're talking about. He explains what he does with the decapitated head and I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Yeah. So yeah, this, this is, it's a very strong sequel, a lot stronger. I mean, the first five minutes are better than the entirety of the exorcist part two. And all this is doing is taking <laughs> shots around Washington. Well, and I, I don't know if this is something we should be proud of or disturbed by Dave, but I have heard uh, through various sources. And so if this isn't true, I apologize, but I have heard that this supposedly was Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite movie. So there's that. Yes, I've heard that too. I've heard there's that too. That. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I've heard, I, no. no I've actually I have heard, heard that. that. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. Yep. That is the most disturbing thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> not knowing that, Josh, go watch it in the dark by yourself. Not knowing that, I'm not going to support it. <laughs> well, it's not the movie's fault that you know <laughs> that he liked it. <laughs> I don't know if I want something to appeal to me in the same way that it appeals to Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> I'm just going to jump on a go on a limb and assume that it's not going to appeal to you in the same way or for the same reasons. I, right, I, exactly. I, I feel like I I have a pretty good judge of your character at this point, Josh, and I'm just going to go on a limb. And assume <laughs> I feel like if he liked the Ramones or Butterfingers, that would be the end of my association with those. <laughs> <laughs> he's a huge fan of butterfingers oh boy well i guess he was in a way no no right. uh, so, oh, <laughs> oh, man. oh man all right so let's move on in to number eight all right so my number eight uh it is a remake as well but another one from 1990, which I do realize how many of my movies are from 1990, which in a weird way seems like I'm kind of cheating as it's so still kind of the 80s. <laughs> but, hey, you know, we'll go with it. Uh, my number eight is the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Nice. Yes. Directed by Tom Savini. Uh, written, yeah, nice. written by, uh, well, they give credit to John Russo and George Romero because obviously, the, but Romero, as I recall, was involved in this quite a bit. And the whole theory behind it as I always understood it, was that they were trying to remake it to recoup the fact that they got screwed out of making any real money when it was originally released because of all the public domain fiasco. Um, And so that was the thought process. But we covered this in a spooky flicks fest several years back. I think it may have been when it was forgotten flicks. So it was even before Retro Movie Geek. And, you know, you've got Tony Todd in an early role 
playing Ben. You have Patricia Tolman as Barbara. Now, this to me, revisit. I saw this in the theater. So this is one of the first R-rated horror movies where I remember I got to go with like a friend to go see this in the theater. And I just was, I loved it so much at the time. And the thing that stood out to me then, and then when I revisited it, you know, a few years after that, and then revisited it again for Spooky Flicks Fest, was the character of Barbara. I always, always disliked that character. I thought it was ridiculous. I always get annoyed when a character, male or female, but especially from that era of the original where, you know, you've got, she just, she's catatonic and she's useless. It's like, come on, really? But Barbara in this one? She's kicking ass and taking names, man. She is straight up going Ripley at certain points in this movie, <laughs> and I yeah. love it. It's great. I mean, to me, you got Tom Towles uh, playing the Harry Cooper role. He's sort of the you know, the angry white racist dude. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just William Butler, who I'm a fan of, who's been in a lot of uh, great horror and genre stuff and something that I may have on my honorable mention list as well. And it's just yeah. great. And oh, yeah, I forgot Bill Mosley played Johnny. I completely brain fart on that. I mean, it's it's a great movie. Bill Mosley's performance of Johnny makes me think I would really love to see Jake Gyllenhaal play oh. that role of Johnny and sometimes <laughs> that would be good casting really well. man no I love that I can picture him with the glasses yeah. they're coming yeah. to get you Barbara oh um, <laughs> yeah I just and I think what I remember too is because Savini being involved in this obviously he was directing it so um, I don't doubt he was as hands-on with in the makeup department but the zombies as it were the or the ghouls as it were this to be I remember it feels a lot more akin to say The Walking Dead in the portrayal of them. I mean, obviously, the original Night of the Living right. Dead and movies like that, it's a lot more just, you know, makeup and they're just kind of pale and dark circles around the eyes, that kind of thing. But this, they were really trying to go for that more anatomically correct corpse look. And it just, it works so well. It's just a really fun, cool movie. And I honestly feel like it is one of the better remakes that's out there. I like it a lot, too. I know there are some, some fans of the original. Um, have talked down about it a little, but I love I I really enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a really good remake. Yeah, and the original's on my top ten yeah. of all time list. So you know, I, mm -hmm. I and this is not like oh yeah yeah the original's okay, but you know it's an old black and white. No, the original, in my opinion, is one of the greatest movies ever made, let alone right. in, you know of any genre. So um, I love the original. I will always love, but there's there's something about this movie. Every time I go back and revisit it, I just I love it that much more. Yeah, I think that's an interesting topic for a future show is uh, remakes and reimaginings. And I think you're right. I think this is a contender for one of the best. Absolutely. All right. So Wolfman, what you got? Number eight. My number eight is a film that I, I don't know if it fully exists as a genre yet. It's close. It's like I would say it's on the borderline. I think most movies about vampires generally focus on the vampire and one key victim. And they usually bring in a vampire hunter or slayer at some point to try to help dispatch the vampire. But my favorite type of vampire movie are those that focus on vampire hunters and John Carpenter's vampires was the one that really put in my mind, this idea that you could have this exciting motley crew of vampire slayers and follow them around that that would be a great idea for a movie. Yeah. I just love what he does here. There is a real griminess about this film that I think uh, works for the world that it inhabits. And I just love everything about it. I feel like this is, in my opinion, the most wrongly underrated John Carpenter movie that exists. This very nearly, bit of a spoiler, didn't make my list, but it very nearly made my honorable mentions because I'm a big fan of it as well. 
And I love that opening scene where you oh. see the hunters doing what they're doing. Yes. That's that's awesome. And it really sets it up well. And James Woods is surprisingly really good in this. I mean, maybe a little over the top, but you know what? It works. It works for that character. Yeah. And he's a badass. He really is. And you know, there, there's a lot of things about, I think there's a lot of things to like about this movie. And I agree with you. I, it's not one that often gets brought up when John Carpenter's name is mentioned. And that's a shame because it, it really is a very strong film. Yeah, I feel like it could be better cast. Um, I feel like Woods pulls it off. I feel like he's kind of like casting Michael Keaton and Batman. He's not the obvious choice for me for a role like this, but mm -hmm. I think he does a good job with it. Yeah. And, uh, and although I can imagine maybe some typecasting that would have worked well, I think he adds a interesting flavor to the film for sure. I think the yeah. whole cast does. There's some interesting casting choices throughout. And I really like this group of misfits that they pull yeah, together here. Absolutely. And the, the guy playing the, uh, the head vampire is, is pretty strong. Truly so. scary. That's yeah. a truly terrifying vampire performance. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to say something controversial, at least in my own head, it's controversial. It probably isn't, but I'm just going to say it. I saw this when it came out in the theater and I remember being like, eh. and the reason why I was eh, is pretty much from his remake of village of the damned on. I started to get very meh <laughs> about Carpenter in the mouth of madness. I loved, but that was the last one. And I really remember ghost of Mars. I was like, you got what he doesn't want to be doing this anymore. Like this didn't even feel, I mean, I get it. It's a sold on PC 13 kind of, but it, I guess I just remember having this chip on my shoulder about this movie for some reason. And because of that, now that it's God, how many years later, <laughs> 21 uh, years later, I really want to revisit this. Cause I have a feeling, and this is because it's happened to me before my 22 year old self is kind of a dick. And <laughs> <laughs> I want to go now as a relatively more chilled out 43 year old and go, you know what? I'm going to give this a chance and see it through different eyes. So I'm really glad you put on your list. Cause honestly, this wasn't even on my radar to add to anything. Cause like I said, I just remember those last few movies that he did. I just really wasn't digging them. And, uh, and as much as I love him, I mean, his, his work from like in the mouth of madness and everything before that, not counting memoirs of invisible man, no offense. Um, <laughs> but, but a lot of the other stuff I am, uh, he's one of my favorite filmmakers, but this one never, for whatever reason, just got to me. And I, I really want to revisit it because on paper, I should love this movie. Like when I read through it, I'm looking at it again, I'm like, I don't know what the hell my problem was. I don't know. I don't know. Halloween hmm. and The Thing are my two favorite films of all time, mm -hmm. definitely in the horror genre. But Vampires and Prince of Darkness are in contention for my number three John wow. Carpenter. Okay. I, yeah, I need to revisit this. Yeah, I definitely. And do. I don't disagree with you, Joel, on Ghosts of Mars. I actually uh, just revisited that recently myself, and and you know you, you it, yeah that one you kind of so felt like he was stuck with assault on precinct thirteen and then not bothered. I mean, I even liked the cast. I thought the cast was pretty cool and go some Mars. That's about it. Uh, but vampires is in a much different league. I think I even liked Escape from L.A. <laughs> I kind I kind of like Escape it wasn't from LA perfect, too. And Snake Plissken surfing was ridiculous. But all that well, yeah. aside. This movie, I just, I don't know. It's like, again, I'm like looking at it going, why didn't, I just know I didn't. I just know I really was annoyed by it for some reason. And I need mm. to revisit this. Vampires, I know that they went out of fashion thanks to Twilight there for a while. I don't know if they've made a comeback yet in the general public's 
mind or in horror fans minds but for me it's definitely still started out and remains one of my absolute favorite subgenres of horror if you look at my 15 from the 90s at least five of those are vampire movies so it's uh this is playing right in my sandbox and i also you know as i mentioned vampire slayers in particular are kind of my favorite version of a vampire movie so yeah I, it doesn't get better than this for me well, that's not true. There are three movies that it does get a little bit better than this for me. Right. I will right, say, though, right. that comment you just made makes me think there might be a tease for something else that's on your list somewhere. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, yeah. As I said, five of these films are vampire films. So <laughs> Okay. All right. So then, Dave, what, pray tell, is your number eight? My number eight. Uh, this one's going to be probably a little controversial. Not the movie. I think, uh, I think everyone will agree the movie belongs with more the placement. Uh, this is a film that we covered on episode 64, our found footage, where we interviewed Eduardo Sanchez. It is The Blair Witch Project from 1999. Nice. About three young filmmakers going to shoot a documentary about an urban legend, The Blair Witch, uh, a person who supposedly lived in the woods and murdered several children in ritualistic fashion. So the three head into the woods to make their film and only to find themselves trapped in a situation they couldn't have possibly prepared themselves for, including the very real possibility that they may never leave these woods again. I love the found footage approach. It, that immediately pulled me in. And, then, you know, it's not something now it's, it's commonplace, but in 1999 and then shortly after it wasn't. Right. And it hooked me right from the get go. I was hooked. I mean, the first time I watched this movie, I had to stop it a couple of times because I, I found myself that into it. I said, well, I got I to gotta break away for a second here. <laughs> and it's the way the, the, the co-director was co-directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. It makes it feel really genuine. No matter what's happening, I bought it. I bought it hook, line and sinker, everything that was going on. And the yeah. three leads, I think, went a long way in selling it as well. It gets oh, yeah. more intense with each passing moment. I mean, this makes you truly dread the sun going down. It just, each time as it got later in the day, you're like, oh no, what's going to happen this time? <laughs> uh, and, it, and, and it was a really groundbreaking film. So I don't want to go too deep into it. I have a feeling, now it's just maybe me, that this might come up later on. But um, it definitely deserves to be on the list. Uh, that's my number eight. Dude, I mean, I think even above Scream, I think this is the most significant horror film of the 1990s. Mm. So even if it's not someone's favorite, I don't think that there is a film that mattered more to the trajectory of horror than The Blair Witch Project. I, I, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at where it went for a while there, even even up into like in the, the 2010s, the, the found footage had a, had a, had a grasp on, uh, on the genre. Well, and still, and good movies it, were made this year and last year in the absolutely. genre. So, I, I think mean, I think it's settled down now. Not everybody's doing it now, but it's settled down into just another way to tell a story. Yeah, which I think is was eventually what was going to happen after after the influx for so many years of found footage. Now it's just settling down, and if a story can be told that way, great. For all intents and purposes, it created a genre. I yes. mean, it, it mm -hmm. didn't. It wasn't the first but it popularized it on a level that certainly had not been seen before that. And right. It right. Established this as a new way of telling the story. I mean, cannibal Holocaust is looked at as, as an early found footage, but that, that's right. not what people were, were reacting to about cannibal Holocaust. It was not the found footage uh, style. Yes. But I think it's the game changer. I agree. Well, let me ask you guys this. Would you say that, 
Blair Witch is to found footage as a subgenre as Halloween is to the slasher as a subgenre. That's a great example. I That's think so. Example. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there have been other slasher-esque movies, but it wasn't until Halloween hits that it becomes a thing that just is pervasive in the culture. And really, yeah. it's not until Blair Witch hits that, and it, it makes sense, right? Both of them have also the parallel that from a indie filmmaker's perspective, they're pretty cheap to make. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a really right. quick, cheap way to make a horror flick and get it out into the market. So it makes perfect sense. If mm -hmm. Halloween doesn't get made, Friday the 13th definitely doesn't get made, mm -hmm. and who knows what else after that. Yeah. If, right. if Blair Witch doesn't get made, Paranormal Activity doesn't get made. Yes. Jason Blum doesn't discover this new business model that he wants to pursue. And yeah. Blumhouse basically probably doesn't exist, certainly not under in the way that it does now. He was failing at that time as a producer uh, that he discovered Paranormal Activity, and it completely Ooh. shifted his approach to producing films. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really fascinating. I will say, and I don't feel like I'm giving anything away to say this, this actually didn't hit my list at all. Like, not even as consideration. I feel like it's a classic. I think it's important. I am not a person who hates the found footage uh, genre. I I find it hit and miss for me. I actually remember seeing this at the Enzian Theater in Orlando before oh, it got... I love it, that theater. Yeah, and before it got its big, like, more, you know, multiplex release. So it was, like, right at the beginning before it became, like, this thing. And I, I remember just, like, I can't remember how I found out about it. Somebody told me about it. We went and saw it. And I remember at the time, because like you at that I didn't know anything about it. Right? You go in if you go to that movie Cold, right. which nowadays would be impossible. But if you went to that movie Cold, it was absolutely terrifying. I did find that when I revisited it, it just for me it didn't work. It's only like it was like a one and done situation. Um, so I appreciate it for what it was and what it did. And I also found it because apparently I'm a very uh, mean older brother. My sister was pregnant at the time, and let's just say she had to bolt. Uh, <laughs> at least one if not two different times to the bathroom <laughs> because uh, she got motion sickness but wow. um, it's it, uh, it's an important important movie but for me it's not like a movie that if i never saw again my heart would be broken i however do have a deep appreciation for it okay. man i couldn't love this movie more actually right. the more i watch it the more my appreciation for it grows actually as well. yeah me too i i don't it's going to lose certain things from the first time you see it but it doesn't lose enough for me not to want to see it again. And it's a movie I can revisit pretty often as well. It loses a lot for me, like 50%, but it gains just as much on rewatch. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're getting yeah. different things out of it. And especially right. for me, like, and all of us being interested in the filmmaking process, like thinking about how they actually produce the movie is so fascinating to think about as well. There's so many yeah. interesting, you know, tales from the set of that. Right. I don't know. I find it endlessly fascinating. All right. So you guys ready to bump into number seven now? Let's do it. Number seven. And you're going to think I did this on purpose. I didn't. I just realized it as we were sitting here talking that this happened to be this way. So my number seven pick is a movie that some on the surface of it will say, well, is that really? This is one of those. Is that really a horror movie? Look, I rewatched it very recently. Yes, it is. And that movie is Seven from 1995. <laughs> <laughs> totally a coincidence. That's my number seven, honestly. <laughs> that was not intentional. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And it, it, IMDb lists it as a crime drama mystery. This movie <laughs> is creepy as F. It is 
I, it is fantastic. If you you know if you've never seen it, uh, the IMDb description: two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motives. David Fincher directed it. This is a, the film he did after the Alien Cubed debacle. Uh, that experience. Andrew Kevin Walker wrote this extremely dark, just just dark as hell uh, script. It is a really 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 great movie. Um, you know, whether you want to argue it's a thriller or a horror movie, it is horrifying. It's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's just a really exceptional movie. And it's one of those that I knew I loved it when I had originally seen it. Like, you know, really liked it a lot. It's a great movie. And I saw it like, maybe one other time a year or two after it came on video. And then I didn't see it again until last year, was it? Or even maybe, was it early this year? I can't remember when we watched We did it for RMG. And oh, my God. I just, it, 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 I don't know what it was about it, but I just saw so many different layers that I had never noticed before with this movie that, uh, yeah, it is easily in my top 10. I think the scenes where you see the results of yes. what the serial killer has done sort of, if, if the, that's, what's going to put it, you know, toward the horror genre. Yes. I think yes. anyway, and there's a few, well, there's quite a few of them. Yeah. Uh, and each one is, is just as disturbing as the previous one. I, the, the one for, for, uh, gluttony, Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, like, I, I mean, cow. I mean, gluttony, sloth. I mean, lust. Yep. They're all god awful. And her. And what is brilliant about the way Fincher does it is he doesn't show you what happened. I mean, you, you're seeing the aftermath. I mean, you, you don't see what happens as it happens. You're seeing the aftermath. So your brain is really filling in. I mean, it's graphic. It's not like it's holding back on necessarily what you know what the outcome was but mm -hmm. it's just you your brain fills in like what those last moments had to be like or just it, uh, it's so it's it's a very dark upsetting movie in a, in a lot of ways but yeah but it's so well made it's so well done i think more both morgan freeman and brad pitt are in that but brad pitt is really good like he's really mm -hmm. good as that character um and uh and that ending alone without giving anything away for the like two people that are listening right now that haven't seen seven <laughs> it that oh. ending by itself, in my opinion, it ends darker than the vast majority of horror movies do <laughs> when you get right down right. to it. I mean, Fincher kind of does that. I mean, he had another one that was sort of, uh, you know, Zodiac. Oh, yeah, that's a great one, too. Which sort of straddled the horror line and but is really listed as, as a crime thriller. Yeah. For some reason, Seven didn't. I don't know. It just didn't land for me when I saw it. I have been very dismissive of it. To your point, Joel, about the version of you in the 90s being kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a certain age where it was very easy for me to be dismissive of things I didn't like right off the bat. Sure. And, uh, yeah. I, I need to go back and give this one another shot, apparently. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> do it. No, we need to have a segment where like so for you i will revisit vampires and give it a shot it's called give it a shot and you give seven a shot man come on there you go well our buddy adam he had talked about coming on the show and doing a, a hear me out segment oh yeah i like that hear me out hear yeah. me out man there you go that'd be awesome <laughs> this one and there's another one where i know the sort of consensus is it's it's real easy to say you know this is a thriller and 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 I, I don't know and maybe it's just i'm just tired i'm just just mentally exhausted by the, the trying to figure out where this would get put in the section of the video store that doesn't exist anymore so i feel like it, to me it's a horror movie it's definitely disturbing it's got all the elements and it's just an exceptional movie so cool. that is my number seven all right coincidentally <laughs> josh what you got for number seven as i mentioned a couple times John Carpenter's Halloween is one of my favorite films of all time. 
I still think it's arguable that my number seven film is the best sequel to John Carpenter's Halloween, and that is Halloween H2O. I was coming off of loving Josh Hartnett and the faculty, which he actually filmed this movie first, but I, I saw it afterward anyway. Not sure exactly when they came out um, in relation to each other, but I saw this one after I saw the faculty, the return of Jamie Lee Curtis to the franchise. I actually prefer this to Halloween two. I think Halloween 2017 is in contention. They both have their issues and they both have things they do really well. And so for me, this is still a toss up whether or not this is my favorite Halloween sequel, but man, I just love everything about this movie. I love the setting, uh, the world that it inhabits. I love the evolution of the Laurie Strode character in this film, my favorite scene, which is a completely non-Michael Myers scene, is just this scene where she's kind of making out with Adam Arkin, and she tells him the story of what happened to her and who she really is. And just that yeah. little moment of revelation is so well done. Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, man, I love this. I love what this does with the mythology of John Carpenter's classic film and it's one of my like favorite you- horror franchises. Absolutely. You could watch this. This is another one where you could, you know, you could skip a lot of sequels in the middle, which I wouldn't want to do because I do like several of them right in the middle there. But you can go one, two and H2O and that would be a a hell of a trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I definitely subscribe to the choose your own adventure approach to the Halloween franchise. I like all of the different iterations. But yeah, Halloween, Halloween two and Halloween H2O at this point is my favorite. Halloween trilogy. Well, and if you think about it, if it wasn't for this movie, you could make the movie might not have the most recent Halloween film because this one set it in motion. I mean, I guess technically, okay, three, but three goes so far removed from uh, the Michael Myers story that I feel like it's it's not even connected. So four, five, and six still connected to the fact that Laurie Strode had a daughter and all this other kind of stuff. So she was dead. Yeah, she was dead. But I'm saying it's still continuing that original timeline, whereas H2O is doing what 2018 did, which is like, no, we're pretty much going all the way back uh, to one and two. So they just kept two in in the mix. But Josh, you bring up the fact that how much you love the movie. I saw it several times in the theater myself. I remember loving it a lot. Uh, Even even saw it at a drive-in and it's funny, I haven't seen it in a, quite a while, and I've heard as of late, it seems like only recently where I've heard people dismissing it as being crap or, or being like, oh, it's one of the worst sequels. And I remember thinking, Why, I, did I, am I remembering this movie completely wrong? Because I remember really liking it, that it was always one of my favorite you know, sequel. So I don't, yeah. I don't, it's always had its detractors. I never understood it. I think it's honestly, if it, I think there is a certain, you know, and I get it. There's certain people that find like the Kevin Williamson vibe, which obviously this movie had to some degree because, you know, you had not just scream, as you mentioned earlier, Dave, you had all the movies that came after that, that were trying to replicate the success of that movie, the I, you know, I know Jim Les Summers and everything else, and and that that sort of the look and the image. I mean, I even remember the the poster had that vibe where you have all the stars sort of stacked up in such a way. They just it had that vibe. So I'm I'm thinking there might be that. Oh, it was a dimension movie. Yeah, it was a dimension movie. Yeah, exactly. They invented that poster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I feel like there's there's a lot of that stigma around it. Now I know it definitely has one of the masks that tends to be one of the least beloved. Well, the ultimate mask as presented in the film, I think looks is my favorite mask again, like since the original films uh, up until that point, I think it was way better than four five and six, but 
it, that's hard to say because there were so many versions of the mask. They did like a hundred different versions of the mask and many of different versions made it into the movie. Yes. But just yeah. as a sense experience, when you watch the film, I think like if you watch the trailer for Halloween H2O, there's a shot. That's one of my favorite shots in the movie where Laurie closes the door, this door on Michael Myers, and they're kind of staring at each other face to face through this little yeah, portal. portal. Yeah. The shot from the trailer is a different mask than the, that same scene in the movie, for uh, instance. That's, wow. They reshot that huh. scene the, and it's different in the movie. Hmm. So yeah, they just, they, they even have a digital mask at one point, which I did not catch at the time, but you know, is obviously much loathed by Halloween fans. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they eventually got it right. I feel like as you watch the film now and, in its whole, I feel like your sense experience feels much more connected to the first film than any of the masks in four, five and six. Okay. Huh, interesting. Well, I, I think that is a good pick. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What you got for us, Dave? Number seven. All right. My number seven is a movie that Martin Scorsese allegedly, I've never heard him say this. So don't hit me with a bunch of uh, say, Oh, okay. I've read that. He said this, the best Italian movie of the 1990s, it is Cemetery Man. Again, to set it up, Francesco, played by Rupert Everett, works as a watchman at uh, his town cemetery. And his chief duty is to make sure the dead stay in their graves, which they are reluctant to do from time to time. Actually, all the time. Uh, to keep the panic from spreading throughout the town, he does it quietly. He puts a bullet in their head. Uh, he calls them returners, these walking corpses. And then he has his uh, rather dim-witted assistant, uh, Nagi, uh, played by Francois Haji Lazaro, uh, rebury them. So he, it's a full-time job for him. He pretty much lives at the cemetery. And he's content with his lot in life until he meets her, the widow of one of the people recently buried in the cemetery. He falls deeply in love with this woman, played by Anna Fauci. And he's obsessed with her and he strikes up an affair with her. So for the first time he's in love and he's got to deal with the fact that her husband who was dead and is not anymore might not be too happy to find his wife in the arms of another man. That's the main story, sort of the main story of Cemetery Man, but there are several tales woven into it. it, it, it this is really kind of filled to the breaking point with characters, situations, a lot of imagination, too. It was shot uh, by Michael Suave, uh, directed, I should say. And it's a horror comedy, but it, it, it's, it has a very dreamlike atmosphere to the, to the whole thing. And I'm pretty sure that it was shot in an actual cemetery. I might be wrong mm -hmm. about that, but I thought I'd heard it was shot. Yeah, it was shot in an actual cemetery. There's a lot of crazy stuff in this film. We, you get a corpse riding a motorcycle. You get a romantic entanglement between Nagi and a severed head. But somehow it all works, and I think it's a real treat. Yeah, I cannot wait to review this one when we do our zombie comedy episode. But yeah, I this just nearly missed my honorable mentions, but I agree with you, Dave. I think it's a fantastic film from the 90s that is often overlooked. I think this is a pretty deep cut, actually. I think it most is. people aren't aware of this movie. And I will say that right. as, as a diehard horror fan who in this era was grabbing every movie I possibly could of the video store shelves, uh, not just the new releases, but the actual horror section. I never, and I think I've told you this before. I've never seen this movie. I remember reading about it in Fango. I remember wanting to see it. And I, I think 
my go-to excuse was that our because we was in a pretty small town, and by the time this movie came out, we had you know a specs that we could rent from, and there was a there was a movie warehouse. It had a pretty good video section, but they never carried this, and it was one of those I just couldn't find. I mean, I probably could have you know found some kind of you know back catalog or something where you could order it, you know, <laughs> order have somebody make you send you a copy uh, that they've made on VHS or something, but. This is pre-internet kids, so it was not easy. And then just as time rolled on, I just have never made the time. There was one, there was a window in there where I remember I actively sought it out. I was trying to find this movie because I'd read so many things about it, and I just never got to it. So now that I know at one point we will hopefully have a theme that will tie into it, I have yeah. a good reason to watch it. So I'm happy. It's, yeah, it's, I, I would be really anxious to hear your reaction. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking there was a new Blu-ray of it, but as I'm looking on Amazon, the DVD is $70 that, right yeah, I have yeah. the DVD. I got it years ago. I was lucky <laughs> enough to get it when it was still reasonably priced. And it's not even, yeah. is it even, is it on streaming? I feel like I looked for it on streaming and I didn't see it, but maybe it is now. Ooh, this was a while back to be fair. So it could be now, but. I hope it comes out on Blu-ray soon. I think maybe Scream Factory, if you're out there listening, see if you can get Cemetery Man. That would be a great one. There's a Region 2 Blu-ray that looks pretty decked out. Oh, nice. All right, so I guess then we're we're almost into the top five, guys. Here comes number six. Number six. Now, this is one of the movies I thought maybe that I would have crossover with Josh on. I could be wrong, but it's possible. So my number six is a movie that came out when I was working at the movie theater and I fell in love with this movie. That's all, there's no other way to put it. I, mean, I think at this point I may have been an assistant manager and that was one of my uh, things I had to do. And I would you know, sit there with a the little portal window and just watch as much of this movie as I could. I loved everything about it. Um, it definitely falls for a lot of people, I'm sure, in the horror comedy camp, but I just love it. And I am uh, not apologizing for it. And that is The Frighteners from 1996. Oh, nice. Yeah, there you go. This movie, it just, at that time, that year for me, uh, between this this movie and a certain other movie that I'm sure no horror fans ever heard of called Scream, I'm thinking I'm going to be this indie movie maker making horror movies and whatnot. And just, there was just so many movies that came out and I just loved them. And I was thrilled. I was working at a movie theater. You know, it was all good. Um, I do remember even at that time realizing, why did they release this? In July, it came out in freaking July, like a week <laughs> after Independence Day, and it got buried. It was like a complete wow. bomb, and it was, and and I whacked my. I was like, at the time, I'm thinking, what the hell are they thinking? This is so an October movie, or even November, December. Why would you put this in July? Yeah, they still do that. They they do really weird things. Like I was just looking at Halloween H two O was released in August. It's like at least wait till wow. september yeah, yeah yeah right yeah there's a feeling even though florida is you know not that cold or even doesn't really even have a fall there's still something psychologically about it's october you know it's we're right. getting close to the season man and i don't know this movie to me has that feeling it's like that kind of cold chilly just ah, yeah, oh, i just I, I love the frighteners so much so just high level if you haven't ever seen the frighteners uh it stars michael j fox it was directed by peter jackson pre lord of the rings this is the movie he did before lord of the rings and after a tragic car accident that kills his wife, a man discovers he can communicate with the dead to con people. However, when a demonic spirit appears, he may be the only one who can stop it from killing the living and the dead. And I did rewatch this. I got the uh, the Blu-ray of it. And some of the CGI is, you know, mid-90s CGI. But I think just the nature of this movie and the general tone it creates, 
it still works on some level. And there are some really cool twists and turns. Um, that song, Don't Fear the Reaper, is one of my favorite songs in, in general by Blue Oyster Cult. And I, I, I loved yeah. its incorporation into this. Um, it just, Frighteners from 1996, uh, easily could have been in my top five, but I just decided to put it here. So it's my number six. I think the the stuff that's pure CGI does not hold up at all, but yeah. the stuff where they incorporate stuff that they shot with CGI mm-hmm. looks actually pretty good. Yeah. Like I, I think it still holds up pretty well. I saw this a couple of years ago. I mean, I had seen it at the time, obviously it was one of my favorite films, but um, yeah, I, I rewatched it a couple of years ago and I thought, yeah, the stuff where they're mixing CJ with actors is actually pretty yeah. successful still. Yeah. There's some CGI like with the carpet, something happens. Yes. But at the time I was just like, whoa, like I thought it was amazing. And then I'm rewatch. I was like, oh, that's not that great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, just I, I did want to say that, of course, you know, Dee Wallace is in this movie as well. She's fantastic. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Jeffrey Combs, of course, cannot forget yeah, Jeffrey Combs. Arlie Ermey is in this movie. Oh, so good. It was also Peter Jackson and his uh, partner. Now, it's Fran Walsh. It's not, it's not his wife, right? I mean, but they're just like life partners. Like they've just been together forever, right? Isn't that the dynamic? I'm not sure about their personal they have relationship. Been, they've been, I don't know what their, <laughs> what their personal relationship is, but professionally, yes, they have been together for a, for a long time. So you guys know who Kate Bosworth is married to. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. I will say I had a lot more invested in a young woman in her twenties than I did in a guy in his fifties when I was, you know, around that was around my age. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I just love their partnership when they when they write together. I just think that uh, the outcome with movies like Heavenly Creatures and The Frighteners are just they're exceptional. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go ahead. Wolfman number six. My number six is another vampire slayer film. This one is a comedy vampire film and it's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There it is. I knew it'd be. Yeah. I just think it's one of the best comedy horror films of all time. I think it's so much fun. I love uh, Luke Perry in this movie. I love Chrissy Swanson in this movie. Uh, they're my two favorite and uh, David Arquette. I, I think the other performances, even, you know, Rucker Howard, who I love so much, Paul Rubens, Donald Sutherland, they're all fine. But I think those core three, Christy Swanson, David Arquette and Luke Perry, I just love their dynamic and I love killing vampires with wooden stakes. That's just uh, where it's at for me. So as number six. Awesome. Yeah, I will. I will say this. Are you a fan of the TV show? No, that's interesting because Jason Grooms, one of my best friends, loves this movie, hates the TV show. I am the opposite. The TV show is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. That movie I saw it when it came out and I never watched it again. I still haven't seen it again since since because I remember at the time being like, what? yeah, OK, it was past. I saw it. I think I saw it at a drive in. Uh, maybe even I was either with a friend or by myself. I don't even remember who I was with, <laughs> but I, I just remember watching it and just not being impressed at all. And then the TV show came out and I love the TV show. Huh. I've noticed that dynamic. I feel like you would like it. I could see you maybe not liking the first season, but I think once you got into some of the later seasons, I could see you. I hate the pilot. Like that, that for me was one of the things that really 
See, and I think you know, that, yeah, I feel like you should start with maybe season two. I think you would if like If you're going to go like one-to-one with the Buffy movie versus the Buffy pilot, it's no, there's no comparison in my opinion. But also, I just don't like Sarah Michelle Geller as an actress. Okay. And so that's a lot to overcome when she's the whole show. You yeah, know? no, and that is, that, that is to be fair. But I, I, I love that show. And the movie is goofy and arch and over the top and cheesy, mm-hmm. but the show feels more goofy and over the top and cheesy. Really? So. See, you no, know, it gets pretty dark later on. I mean, it definitely builds up to some, I mean, it's goofy yeah. and has some funny parts to it, but I, I will say this. I just, I would be curious. I think it's an interesting dynamic though. Everybody I talked to loves this movie really isn't a fan of the TV show. And I mean, at least in my own immediate experience, it's vice versa as well. So right. um, I, I, I want to see it again. Cause again, I haven't seen it since it came out. I, I don't think I may have watched a few minutes of it one time when it was on HBO or something, but I just have not bothered going back to it. So uh, I think this would be another one that would be fun to revisit just to see you know, if I maybe have a little less uh, chip on my shoulder <laughs> while uh, watching it. So I've uh, been to their high school where they attended high school. Oh, really? The show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I went there with Matt when we were in L.A. Sunny, last time. Sunny and we Dale. Went, walked around the high school, yeah. Oh, that is nice. awesome. That was fun. All right, Dave, what you got, buddy? Number six. Number six. Um, well, there are a number of effective ways to mutilate the human body, and <laughs> director Peter Jackson covers just about all of them in 1992's Dead Alive. Yes. I was hoping you'd pick this movie. I was hoping. We did cover this before in episode 87, Comedy of Terrors. It was one of the movies we feature reviewed, as a matter of fact, Yeah. in that episode. It's also released as Brain Dead in New Zealand, I get it. It's, uh, it's set in 1957. Lionel is romancing uh, Paquita, who is a shop girl. And Lionel's mother, played by Davina Whitehouse, is not too happy with it. Follows them to the zoo where she's bitten by a rat monkey, a wound that after a while has her body falling apart until she dies. But she doesn't stay dead and the infection spreads. So Lionel is forced to fight off a horde of zombies to keep Paquita safe. Uh, It's gory as hell. This movie really is. It doesn't start off as such. It's not a constant bloodbath. But then things get pretty crazy. There's a priest who specializes in Kung Fu. You got to a dinner party that gets out of control. And before you know it, Lionel is starting up his lawnmower, which is probably the film's most infamous, <laughs> if not famous sequence. Yes. But by spending time with the characters before the carnage, I think he ensures that Jackson ensures that, you know, we, we kind of care about what's going to go on here. And there is a lot of humor in the movie as well. Obviously we covered it in the comedy of terrors. I think it's at its best when it's sort of oozing guts and limbs popping off. And it's probably a contender for the grossest horror comedy ever made. But I got <laughs> to say, I loved I loved every minute of it. I think I mentioned this on our comedy of horrors episode, but I think you can kind of tie a few parallels between that mother and house to the Frighteners mother and house. It feels yes. definitely related. You can tell they came from the same filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I did not love this movie, but I do. Once it gets to the house with the lawnmower, it, it's fun from there on out for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think you gave it a five, Josh. Wow, in our, in our really? Feature review. Right. Wow. Yeah. I don't. For some reason, I, I don't. I, I blocked that out because that pains me. This movie, oh, it, it isn't. It isn't in my list or my honorable mentions. But it, if I'd had an extra honorable mention, it very well would have been. <laughs> so this movie is great. I, I remember. Um, picking it up in the video store and, and having just a passing. And I think at the time what threw me was I had read about a movie called brain dead in Fango. And then I pick up this video box. that's called dead alive with a mouth being stretched. Right. Isn't that the, the image right. on the box? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and I 
read the back and I'm like, there seemed to be similarities, but I wasn't quite sure. Uh, and, and then I, and I watched it and, uh, and I mean, it's got, in my opinion, one of the greatest lines ever, which is, oh, I'm kicking ass for the Lord. I mean, that's, yes. that's, <laughs> and, 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 and the lawnmower scene, as you mentioned, is without equal. I mean, <laughs> it's tremendous. Right. It is tremendous. So that yeah. is an excellent pick. Good picks, you guys. Okay, we're going to take a brief break from our list before we move on to number five for some additional Halloween fun. Gather around the campfire, dear friends, as we hear this campfire tale from Coleman and Chris. What's up, HMP community? This is Coleman Wiederhold. I am nine years older than my little brother. I'm 32. He's since gone to the military. He's a Marine. He's 24. Chris Gamble. We're in Caldwell, Texas right now, which just to give anybody an idea of where that is, it's the site where they filmed the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is right down the road from us in Bastrop, Texas, about 45 minutes. We used to live in this big stucco-style Spanish-looking house on Fox Street, which at the time was about 80 years old, so it's probably about 100 years old now. And uh, my mom lived there, and we lived in that house since I was in eighth grade, so he was he was pretty small. We moved into this house, and off the get-go, there was always something weird going on, mainly in my room. I'd hear just little miscellaneous sounds throughout the house. I'd hear uh, cabinet doors slamming. I'd hear footsteps. Lights would turn on and off throughout the house, and blinds would shoot up just randomly out of the blue. One story we had was a guy had two buddies over with me. And we're playing, to kind of set the picture, we're in my brother's old room right across the hallway. And it was, the weird thing happened in my room. Yeah. So, we're and in my one brother's. One of your buddies was John. That's yeah. important at the yeah. end of this. So, we were over there, we're playing Monopoly on the floor, right there in front of the doorway. And we kept hearing some weird noises going on in my room. And I had a bunch of old Lego sets that I kept underneath my bed. So we're going on, we're playing Monopoly and everything, and we hear a bunch of rattling, and we all look over, and there's Legos that just get thrown all over the room. Like somebody just took a handful of Legos and just threw them up in the air, and they just went everywhere. And we all kind of flipped out about that and ran downstairs, and Mom never believed any stories that we said to her she never believed me i remember like i never really bought into it but i remember chris being terrified and the one weird thing i remember is we had an old dog named sugar who was blind she was a chow she kind of was with me through every aspect of my life by this time she was old and never really got excited about anything anybody could come up and pet her and she just got up and was growling at a chair one night and barking at it like someone was sitting in it, but of course no one was there. So I would get scared, and I'd actually go lay down with my mom. So one day I stayed at my buddy John's house, and mom said that she uh, heard her bedroom door open up and somebody lay down in her bed thinking it was me, and she said she rolled over and nobody was there. So she didn't really think too much about it and then the next day you know she woke up and i wasn't there so she called me and she asked you know where are you at and i was like oh, i'm still over at john's house and she's like okay that's kind of weird so that's what kind of brought her into 
to calling a priest over. So I came back from my buddy's house and there's a priest and my mom standing in my room. And the priest is standing there throwing holy water underneath this table I had in my room, speaking in tongue and shouting and everything. And he turns around and looks at me. He tells me to like just get out, just leave. You don't need to be here right now witnessing this. And my heart just sank because I could just feel like something there was just not, it wasn't a good moment. So I just ran up out of the house. I wasn't trying to be there with all that happening. It was a scary time in my life. So my little brother Chris obviously really believes this. My mom definitely had the house prayed over. And since then, there were really no incidents or reports that I know of that anyone said they felt anything weird or anything else happened. So maybe whatever it was got exercised out of there. <laughs> but I, myself, Coleman, the member of the horror movie podcast community, never really bought into any of it or believed any of it. I don't know if I was aloof, just a teenager. But my mom has since sold that house and moved and... Um, there's a new family, a younger family, about in their 30s with a couple of young kids living in that house. That's all we can say. And they've done like remodel work to it. It actually looks really good. But now my brother's home this week to tell the story. And just to bring it full circle, the friend John from the beginning with the Lego incident said something to Chris, my brother, that he had always kind of thought to himself and never said out loud. And So we knew there was something weird going on in that bedroom. There's an old bathroom that was attached to it, and inside that bathroom there was this old cupboard for laundry in it. And I always knew that there was something weird with that little, that's where everything that went on in that house, it came from that little area right there. That's what I always thought. Yeah. And I was hanging out with uh, my buddy John. Catching up with an old friend, your home only. Telling old stories about the house. And I told him about the bathroom because that's as far as I wanted to pinpoint it. And he was like, man, it's that cupboard. It was that little laundry basket. And my heart just sank when he said that because he knew something was wrong with it too. Right. That's that's where, that was the focal point of that house for where all the scary crap came out of. Yeah, not a basket, but like a laundry. Yeah, like a a laundry shoe. It was just a drawer. And you had never actually said that. Yes. But then he said it. And he said it. But you'd always thought it. Yeah. That's crazy, man. That's our uh, haunted house story. Keep it spooky. Happy Halloween. Thank you to Coleman and Chris for your terrifying tale. Chris and Coleman will both receive a brand new Campfire Tales sticker that was designed by HMP listener Joshua Bellis. They can also have their pick between a special Campfire Tales t-shirt or their own copy of one of the films discussed on tonight's show. We want to hear your seasonal spooky stories as well. To submit your campfire tales for the show, send us a pre-recorded audio file to horrormoviecast at gmail.com. That's horrormoviecast at gmail.com. I want to give a huge thank you to Coleman for submitting that story and getting his brother Chris to tell us those creepy tales. Those were really good thank you guys while we're in this mode i want to give out what i've been calling our participation trophy (laughs) 
to someone who's been participating in our 31 days of Halloween at the site. Every day of October, we've been posting written reviews in between our regular podcast episodes as we do every Halloween. And we really appreciate it when listeners submit their reviews or drop by to tell us what they've been watching. So I've put everyone's name in a hat who's participated over there, and I'm going to draw one out to reward them with a little Halloween treat. Because it's the 1990s, I'm giving away one Blu-ray from a movie from the 90s. And the movie I selected was Stephen King's It, the 1990 miniseries. It's a nice Blu-ray release with cool new hologram cover art. And I don't know if It Chapter 2 is still in theaters anywhere, but it also has $8 off a movie ticket to It Chapter 2 if we get this out to you in time. And the winner is... The Mad Cytologist. All right, thank you to The Mad Cytologist for letting us know what you've been watching during the Halloween season, and we encourage other listeners to participate in what's going on at the website at horrormoviepodcast.com. It's a lot of fun, and as we've seen here, it can pay off. In fact... Hey, everyone, this is Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. I'm sorry to be hijacking the show at this point, but I need your help. A while back, a listener chastised the three of us, uh, Josh, Joel, and myself, for throwing away, we, we announced on the show that we just threw away our digital downloads. We never kept them. For me, they were just another piece of paper in the, in the Blu-ray that was in the way, so I threw it away. But you know what? It was a good point. I shouldn't be throwing these away. These are a value to somebody. Even if not to me, they're a value to somebody, and maybe somebody could, would, would enjoy them. Well, now I'm swimming in the damn things. I got them all over the place. I got too many, and it's October, it's the month of horror, and I want to give all of the listeners a chance to win one of these downloads, and there are three different ways to do it. First, if you go to iTunes and leave us a review on iTunes for HMP, you have a chance of winning one of four different downloads. I'm giving four away for an iTunes review. The 40th anniversary of Alien... The seven-film Saw franchise, the only one missing is the newest Jigsaw, but it's one through seven of Saw, all in one download. That's not seven downloads, that's one single download. Three from Hell, the brand new Rob Zombie movie. And The Jinx, the six-hour HBO documentary on serial killer Robert Durst. Four different people will win them. So we're looking for a lot of reviews over on iTunes. A lot of people, you know, it's this, we're looking for an honest review. We're not looking for an honest review. We want you to kiss our ass. <laughs> kidding, not kidding. Anyway, <laughs> so that's the iTunes. Now, a lot of you out there have already left an iTunes. You're like, Dr. Shock, I left an iTunes like years ago. I've been a loyal listener all this long. Why am I being locked out of this, Jack? I, 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 you know, I want a chance to win some of these downloads too. First off, you got a lot of nerve. But second, you're absolutely right. So we're going to give you a chance to win some downloads as well. How? All right. Two different ways. One, on Twitter, we're going to be giving away a new download every few days. All you have to do is follow us and retweet it. That's it. So you're going to want to go onto Twitter and check Horror Movie Cast. Every few days, a new download will be listed, and there's some good ones in here. I'm not even going to spoil it. You're going to have to go over to the Twitter page to see these. And I think there's one or two that are the end of 2018, but the majority of these are 2019 films. All right? 
That's the second way to win. And again, all you have to do is follow us and retweet and you have a chance. That's for everybody. Third, this is the month where we're doing our top 10 lists. We have the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. The last episode, the 2000s, we're giving away more of the downloads. All you have to do in that case is go to horrormoviepodcast.com, the site, when the 2000 episode is posted, and leave a comment with your personal top 10 list. We've gotten quite a few of them already on the 70s, with the 80s, the 90s, and with the 2000s. We want your top 10 list. If you do that, you have a chance to win another download. And I'm not just giving away one. I'm not just giving away three. I'm giving away seven downloads to seven different people for the 2000s. If you come out and leave your top 10 list, you have a darn good chance of winning one of these downloads. I'm not going to list all of the films. There are 2019 movies. Three of them, though, just to give you an idea, are Captive State, 2019's Hellboy, and The Dead Don't Die. Giving away those three for a comment with a top 10 list in the 2000s. So those are the three ways you have to win these. I need to get rid of these. Please help me out. iTunes, Twitter, the comment board for our top 10 of the 2000s list. Three ways to win. A lot of downloads I'm giving away. Please help. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. And now we'll get back to our top 10 horror movies of the 1990s. All right, we made it. We're here. It's the midpoint. We are ready for number five. All right, we're in the top five, guys. I feel like we're moving at a breakneck pace here. But uh, number five for me is a movie that won Best Picture for 1991, and that's The Silence of the Lambs, a movie that we watched uh, for Retro Movie Geek a few months back. We had Jess Hageman, who uh, was, is a writer, an author, uh, had a book released by Cinestate uh, called Head Cheese. She's a horror author. She's fantastic. And she came on to cover that with us. And it had been so long since I'd seen it. I, when it came out, I saw it maybe five times in the theater. I just love this movie. And, mm-hmm. and it's still, there's a lot of things with it that, you know, uh, bring up issues and it's, it's interesting to watch it in, in today's view of the world and politics and climate and everything else. It definitely brings up an interesting discussion, but as just a thriller and uh, a horror film, it works on so many levels. And I mean, friggin' Hopkins, man. I mean, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, you, you forget how little he's on screen because, and I believe we talked about this in Hitcher, uh, Dave, I think you were the one who made the comparison to Halloween, how, you know, Michael Myers presence is he's like, he's around every corner. He's, he's on every, he's in every frame, even though he's not physically there. And, and the Hitcher had that vibe. Silence of the yeah. Lambs has that as well. Like Lecter pervades everything. And uh, it's just a, a really, really great movie. Yeah. I think it's awesome. I do. I think mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs is amazing. And uh, Anthony Hopkins is brilliant as Hannibal Lecter. And you're right. He's what you think of when you think of this movie. And he's not in it as much as, well, definitely not as much as Jodie Foster. I'm not sure about the actual serial killer character, but it's a very dark film. Uh, You know, and a lot of people have argued, well, is it truly horror? But I've seen quite a few arguments for, yes, it is, that, that that it does belong there. And there is a scene at the end set in a house. Oh, 
where Fantastic. one character is looking for another and oh man is that intense yes and holy cow it's and that's, really, that's really comes well after done. everything that came yeah. before it so it's building and building and building and then boom uh, it's 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 something and really jody foster in my opinion is the unsung hero of the movie because the way she portrays that character and the levels to her and again watching it now with more adult eyes you just really appreciate what she was able to accomplish and you could totally see how that was it had to be a model for scully for the x-files i mean there's there's so right. many comparable yeah, that's true elements to that, her. that's very true so uh yeah it, it's just I, th I think it's a great movie and i think the whole debate of is it a horror movie it's a horror movie okay it's got right. a serial killer and and cannibalism and everything else going and people wearing people's skin for Ooh. all right then let's go ahead and move into Wolfman's number five. Okay, my number five is another vampire movie. Uh, this one is much different in tone and scale than Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That one feels like it's a shot on a comedy set. This one feels like it's shot in a real world. There's so much yeah. texture to this film. Production design and costuming is off the charts. Some people have the gall to say that this isn't a horror film. I don't know what they're talking about. And frankly, I find that disrespectful to Anne Rice. It is Interview with a Vampire. Nice um, pick. Awesome. Directed pick. by Neil Jordan. You know, for anyone who wants to say this isn't a horror movie, which again, I don't even understand how you could start to make that argument. I don't either. They're vampires, for God's sake. That don't, it could be a very subdued, like quiet horror movie, but it's still a freaking horror movie. It's vampires. I saw this in the movie theater with William Rowan Jr. Actually, we must have been like 12 or something when this came out. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't live in Utah yet when I was 12, but we were young because this came out in 1994. Um, it wasn't a second run theater, though, so it could have been a while after the movie came out. But I remember multiple, multiple people standing up and walking out of the theater during horror scenes. Every time there was a horror mm -hmm. scene, we'd lose more people. And by the end of the movie, it was only like half the amount of people that we started the movie with. Wow. Oprah Winfrey walked out of this, supposedly. Really? Um, she couldn't take it. She walked out of this movie. Yeah. Hmm. So this movie, you know, it's a certain type of film. It's a historical drama but has more than passing horror elements or themes i mean this is a, a straight-up horror film as far as i'm concerned so and it goes there in a lot of a lot of ways and a lot of times and i think it's just a beautiful depiction of what is so tragic about vampirism and it's just one of the most interesting looks into vampirism i feel like there's ever been committed to cinema so uh, I love this movie. I love I love the tone of it. It's one of those films that where you think oh, I would really love to live in this, so long as I didn't have to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would. I would agree. And it's one one of the things I like about it too is that it does bring the horror, but it's got that great story in there of of a guy who now must kill to survive. He's become a vampire, but hasn't lost his humanity. Well, that's you know, the tragedy of it all. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I love that aspect of it, that that Brad Pitt's character in this, you know? Which I feel like yeah. Brad Pitt is, I don't think he gets much credit because I think this is still that early part of his career, Legends of the, Legends of the Fall and that where he sort of had the, was getting the stigma of, oh, he's just a pretty boy actor, blah, 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 which I think he's gone on to prove is so not true yeah uh, yeah he's very much a pretty boy but he's a hell of an actor who's willing to ugly himself up and play characters and go places and do things so i just feel like that time period was when he was still very much people were perceiving him that way 
at least that, that was the sense I had of it. Um, but, sure. but I, I think Tom Cruise also had stigma this oh, year already big time. too. Big time. Yeah. So I think the yeah. inclusion of the two of them is probably the reason why horror fans didn't embrace it. You know, the way that I think they would now if they came to it fresh. Yeah. And I, I it is a great movie. I remember being, a really I, I agree. I, I read somewhere and maybe it was on IMDb in the trivia. So take it with a grain of salt, but that Tom Cruise prepared for this role by watching lions attacking their prey in the, in the wild. Love that it. was one of the things he did to prepare for his role as uh let's stop. He's really good in this movie. I think both of yeah, them are yeah. really good. And Kristen Dunst. This was her first role, wasn't it? think so yeah it's really a strong cast yeah absolutely yeah no that's a great pick what'd you got for us dave number five number five this is i've said it before but i think it bears repeating i wish i'd done things differently before i saw my number five i wish i'd avoided the trailer didn't read the reviews that sort of revealed important plot points that's not what happened. I was fully aware of the big twist well before I saw it. And even though I love the film, I couldn't help but wonder what my reaction might have been had I not known what was coming. My number five is uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. This was written by Quentin Tarantino, nice. directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, it's about the Gecko brothers, Seth and Richie, a pair of outlaws wanted for armed robbery, killing several Texas police officers and probably a slew of other things. They're trying to get to Mexico to, to escape justice. So they kidnap Jacob, played by Harvey Keitel. He's a former man of the cloth who lost his faith uh, after his wife passed away recently. And his two kids, Kate, uh, played by Juliet Lewis, and Scott, played by Ernest Liu. They're traveling in an RV. So the geckos uh, sort of uh, kidnap them, promise that if they take them south of the border, they'll be released unharmed. Well, it works. They get south of the border. And Seth wants to celebrate, so he has everybody go into an all-night biker bar, including the, the children, all into an all-night biker bar, where he's arranged to meet some friends later on, I guess, as, as uh, the sun comes up. And it's the middle of the night now, but they learn pretty quickly that this particular saloon in the middle of nowhere is not your average hangout. It's funny, this, this actually has, Quentin Tarantino is one of those actors who, when he's in front of the camera, I think he's hit and miss. This could be his best performance, actually, and maybe that's maybe that's going out on a limb. But I think he was excellent in this. He's inherently creepy as Richie, who's sort of this predator, and Clooney's just as good as as Seth. He's a really intense character. He wants to get to Mexico. He's going to do whatever it takes to get to Mexico. But at the same time, he's trying to curb his brother's less savory habits and kind of keep him under control. So there's that sort of dynamic between the two brothers, where where Seth is the true criminal. But he doesn't like what Richie is interpreting as what a criminal is. And, and he, he's, right. sort of, he's sort of regretting that. So I like that dynamic between the two of them. There's action in this movie. And there is a hell of a twist halfway through. There really is. And it might seem ridiculous to some people at this point. But I don't want to discuss it any further. <laughs> Just on the off chance that some younger listeners out there haven't seen it yet. Maybe you've never heard of From Dust Till Dawn. If that's the case, avoid all trailers and reviews. Go into the movie blind. Yes, I think agreed. you'll have a great time agreed. with it. Agreed. Yeah, I totally thought you were going to say six cents based on your setup. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, right. I, I totally thought that's what you're going to say. No, I didn't know anything. Six cents did surprise me. Yeah. I didn't know anything about the ending of that one. <laughs> well, and you know, people don't remember this probably, but George Clooney was not a movie star when this movie was made. He was actually kind of a weird choice for the yeah. role. He had been. He was big on TV. He was a huge. 
success of television. But yeah. this was still a time when actors had a difficulty crossing over between television and movies. And he was a guy who was trying to do movies, Batman and Robin. And he had done this movie, the peacemaker that was this huge flop. And it just was not working. Like people were thinking, Oh man, this guy, right. He's not a movie star. And now he's one of the people, people say, Oh, Hollywood's last true movie star, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> just a few years later. It's funny. Yeah. I prefer him in return to the killer tomatoes myself. Right. Of course. <laughs> but <laughs> this wasn't what it wasn't too shabby as well. Right. You know, I knew this. I knew the twist going in. I actually saw this later. I didn't see it in the mm-hmm. theater for some reason. And I remember enjoying it. And I agree with you, Dave. Like it would have been more fun probably not knowing. But I do remember that even knowing it's such a distinctly different movie. It's like you're watching one movie and then something happens. And it's a different movie. <laughs> and it's a completely, yes. and the, completely the first different movie's movie. really fun, too. And I like I was going to yeah. say that was, I think, the only disappointment I had is I really liked the first movie. I think yeah. a little bit more, which is weird because knowing me and my tastes, actually, you'd think I'd like the second part better. But I, right. I, I, for whatever reason, the first part I found way more engaging. And so when we kind of just scrap all that, in a sense, it I didn't like it as much. But, you know, I do appreciate the things it does. And the fact, like you said, it's, you know, uh, it, it kind of helped uh, make Clooney more of a star. And uh, I enjoy a lot of things he's done since. So excellent pick. There was a siege moment in this film that I feel like is my favorite part of the movie though. And I think it's done so well. And I, it's one of my favorite movie moments as well. Well, and I think that, uh, that we also have to mention that, you know, there's a pretty fun cameo and there's probably several cameos, but uh, Savini specifically has a fun. Yes. And Fred Williamson. Yes. You got, you got to see, do have some uh, fun cameos in this Danny Trejo. This also resulted in two more movies and a television series, which I really enjoy the series. They recast everyone for the series, which is fine. Um, and it, it works. Like I really, I really like the from Dust of Dawn series. As I remember, it has been years. I think I just saw them both. They came out the same year, two and three in my mm-hmm. memory. I remember liking three better than two, but I have not revisited them. But. Uh, I don't know that I've seen all the movies either. I, I might've seen two, but I'm not even hundred percent sure about that. Cause I know I sat down to watch it at one point, but I don't know if I ever actually did. One of them is a period piece. I think it's three to my recollection. I and think I, three is the Western. Yeah, it's like yeah, a Western and that was movie. awesome. I really okay. enjoyed that. I didn't see that one, but I'll have to check it out. All right, so that brings us to our number four pick. All right, so my number four, guys, we're, we're, we're getting there. It's a, a movie that, again, falls in the comedy horror genre. I will say, I feel like I'm going like comedy horror crazy dark depressing comedy horror <laughs> there's definitely uh, peaks and valleys to my list here but this is definitely <laughs> in the comedy horror horror comedy <laughs> vibe it is a movie that i saw with my dad in the theater and from the moment i saw it i loved it and knew it would always go down as one of my favorites every time i've watched this movie over the years i just always have a good time it is tremors from 1990. That is my mm. number four. It, Never heard of it. Really? Oh, okay, you ought to check it out. Actually, I wouldn't actually skip the first one and try like uh, three, four or five. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I would do. Right. 
and then go back and watch one like it's a prequel. <laughs> was it the second one where they were running around? Yes, grab the graboids become. I don't know yeah, what they call them. Yeah. They, all of a sudden they grow feet. And yeah. yeah. So if you if you've never seen Tremors, like like Josh apparently, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, the, the synopsis on Imdaba is natives of a small isolated town defend themselves against strange underground creatures, which are killing them one by one, and that is very true. And obviously, a lot of the elements are played for laughs and the the fred ward kevin bacon started and their performances are fairly over the top and played uh, for the comedic effect but i will say some of the other characters in it and in some of the sequences are the horror of it the, of the certain moments are played fairly straight I and mean, there's a scene involving a car and a couple that that is pretty you know intense when it happens there's a sequence involving a pogo stick <laughs> the whole idea is of course these things are under the ground and if they feel the vibration they could come up and get you which is just a genius concept i mean it's just such a great idea but it's a fun fun movie it's one of those gateway horror movies that's great to show your kids at a certain age um because it's not it's it's intense but it's not gonna you know need necessarily need therapy involved afterwards but uh yeah it's a fantastic movie that i just uh, really love so that's tremors from 1990 i feel like i saw this in like fifth grade or something i don't remember exactly but i remember seeing it with my friend and then we went to go drop him off at his house and he was scared to go across his lawn to his front door <laughs> and we were just and i was scared for him we yeah. just wow. sat there yeah. in the That's car the, the, let's make sure he makes it yeah we just sat there in the car with the door open both of us just staring at his front door like good luck buddy well and i think what this thing wow. taps into so well is as a kid did you ever play the game where you'd have like the cushions are all over your living room you do like lava, the floor is lava. Yeah, yeah yeah you're yeah, exactly you're and it, it, it it's kind of like the cinematic equivalent of that so as a kid i can imagine you guys get out you're like okay if I if I make if I jump there and then there and then there, <laughs> they can't get right. me. <laughs> Way to go, dudes! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll set that yeah. character aside. But everything, <laughs> everything I love him, dude. I, I like every character. Yeah, I know, it's I'm such a kidding. motley I'm crew. Kidding. It really yes, it is, is, and yes. it's awesome. Yeah, Dave, this is one you came on right with Forgotten Flicks, and the, yes. and the joke was we all just went like, "Yeah, we love Tremors. Let's talk about a bunch of stuff." Isn't in this movie? Okay. That's right. Yeah, I think we. I think it was like an hour show. We spent about ten minutes on Tremors yeah. and about fifteen minutes on everything else. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 something like that. It wasn't because we didn't like Tremors. We just it was like, "Yeah, we love it." Mm -hmm. Right, right. So speaking of moving on, Wolfman. <laughs> I'm looking over my list and I realized every single movie on my top ten so far is a film that has major vocal detractors. Like there are people who love all those movies that I've mentioned so far, but every one of them is kind of a much maligned film. And my number four is no different. It's Francis Ford Coppola's take on Bram Stoker's oh, Dracula. Nice. I, you know what? Shoot. This is my oversight. <laughs> <laughs> See, you got it and back, not, Josh. Not, you got it I back. I didn't know it was a 90s movie. I knew it was a 90s movie, but I don't know if it would have made my top 10, but it probably would have made my honorable mentions, but I'm married to them now. So that that that's a good choice. Wow, that's a damn good choice. Detractors, Josh, is that what you said? Yes, sir. Can, can I say something? Yes. I am not one of them because I freaking love this movie too. <laughs> Detractors, <laughs> be damned. This is a great movie. As I've mentioned, I'm completely obsessed with vampires. Dracula was my first love. The novel, absolutely in love with. The Universal film, I was absolutely in love with. And so getting to see this film that did flesh out a lot of things about the book that previous adaptations had kind of glossed over. 
but also amazing creativity and inventiveness with which the special effects were carried out. I later yes. learned by yeah. Roman Coppola, who was only 24 years old at the time, Francis Ford Coppola did not want to use CGI. He didn't think it was there yet. He had all of these ideas of how he wanted these to look, and the film had all these special effects in it. Eventually, he had to fire his special effects department that was provided by the studio, and he hired his 24-year-old son to do the effects, who was a magic fan. And he said, we're going to do these all in camera, in real time, and I want you know you to pull these off like you would pull off a magic trick. And that's the way they approached the film. Roman Coppola deserved the Academy Award the year this came out, but as is the case, and Francis Ford Coppola has pointed this out himself, different members of the Academy vote in their own areas, and people who worked in special effects were really annoyed that Coppola had fired the FX guys and hired his own son to do them. But there's uh, nothing that came even close to this that year. It is it, visually dazzling. Yes, this is, is a this yeah. is an amazing movie, and it holds up so well. It holds up so well because they didn't go the CGI route. Right. I mean, the, it, you've never seen practical effects like this before. It at least deserved the nomination for Roman Coppola because he did an incredible job here. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love all of the performances. I know Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves. People are really hard on them. I get it, but I also kind of like them. I don't know. There's something about their performances that I just really enjoy. And, uh, you know, the weird kind of werewolf bat thing rapist that is in the film is is a point of contention. It kind of works. Like, everything about it that's weird and that people dislike, I understand, but I actually really like it. And hmm. Tom Waits' as Renfield is one of my favorite elements of this film. Yes, I like him too. Yeah, Anthony... Definitely. Hopkins as Van Helsing is the best Van Helsing to ever appear on screen so far. And it is, that is a bizarre scene. <laughs> yeah, that is a bizarre scene. But again, it's, it's, it's so cool. I love my vampire hunters and man, if they could all live up to Anthony Hopkins in this film, then the world would be a better place. So, well, and Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman's incredible. Gary Oldman was another one of those elements where people really took his performance and especially like his hair and makeup and costumes to task. But they were based on not only things that were in the novel, but also research they had done about the time period. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, it, it looks like it's some crazy Hollywood idea, but it really actually was based in reality. So I, I really enjoy what they did with this movie in every way. Yeah. There are moments in the book that when you read them, you're like, okay, like that can never be actualized on screen. And I feel like this movie does them in ways that we haven't seen before. And did they also use things like, uh, I, I seem to remember reading this, that in addition to the magic trick element, it was things like uh, inspired by Nosferatu, the original that, you know, the whole rising up out of the coffin piece. I, I seem to remember where they specifically yeah. took. Yeah, they uh, went back mm -hmm. to very and, and, old school techniques yeah. that hadn't been done in decades yeah. for this film. The train is a great example of just a, old tiny special effect like it would have been mm -hmm. in a silent film and yet they pull it off perfectly so great it's such a great movie that's an excellent pick absolutely all right dave what do you got uh number four joel to quote another 90s movie you're killing me smalls <laughs> my number four is tremors <laughs> Oh, and the best part is I'm doing it like right before yours. 
<laughs> yeah, not, twice now. That's twice you got me that, that we've matched the same yeah, number. I yeah. mean, forget movie. It's the same number. Yes, that's hilarious. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I, I agree with everything you said. The creatures may defy logic. The characters themselves have a debate about their origin. Wonder why nobody's encountered them before. Sort of heading that off at the past. But I remember it, it was in 1991. I was in a um, the communicating arts production group at my college. And I was in the president's, another student, I was in her office. And she had a poster for Tremors hanging behind her desk. And I remember looking up at that and saying, boy, that looks like a movie I think I'd really want to see. And it was from that, just that experience, I got the video and I fell in love with this the first time I saw it too. I've probably seen it a dozen times and it just doesn't get old for me. I love it. I, I've talked about the scene before. There's a scene in a basement uh, with a couple characters that in any other movie, because of the characters and the way they're set up, survivalists, gun crazy and everything, they wouldn't make it. But something happens, and that was where I was like, this movie is so freaking awesome. Because I was <laughs> expecting one thing, and they pulled the rug out from under me, and I love it. I love that they did that. So, yeah, that's a great pick, and I agree with you. I think it, uh, it's my number four as well. Way to go, dudes! <laughs> <laughs> so, hopefully, this is the last time I do this to you, Dave. Hopefully, that's the last time that I still your thunder it might be it might be but i can't say for sure i guarantee you it it is in regards to my number one and possibly my number two and three but maybe not this next one maybe you might actually not think about yeah. it you might okay all right we'll see we're now top three here we're getting there kids top three my number three is a movie again saw in the theater i think i said day of the living dead remake i know is one of the first r-rated movies where i went with like a friend because my dad took me to see pet cemetery uh, much to my mother's chagrin, <laughs> but uh, th so that was 89. And then the people on the stairs was 91. So yeah, that's definitely after this is in contention for being one of the first that I saw in the theater with a friend. And again, it's another one that someone make the argument. Is it, or is it whatever C call it psychological horror, call it whatever you want. I don't care. It is one of the great, if not the greatest horror movies of all time, certainly Without a doubt, it is one of the best Stephen King adaptations, and that is Misery from 1990. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, okay. Well, what it's about, <laughs> let, me, let me fill you in, Josh. It's about a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels. He comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. Actually, right on IMDb. That's actually a pretty good uh, synopsis for like, giving anything away. I'm impressed. Uh, it <laughs> was good. Yeah, really. It was directed by Rob Reiner. Of course, it's based on the King book. I actually uh, have read the novel and it's weird. I feel like I I must have read it after the movie because that's usually my MO. <laughs> I'll see the movie like, oh man, I need to go read the book. But <laughs> I, I know it was pretty close around that time. And I remember really liking the book as well. James Caan, Kathy Bates, Richard Farnsworth. It's a very small cast. But it is such a suspenseful, really well-told story. And mm -hmm. it's got moments that are just flat out scary as hell. And Kathy Bates deserved best actress, supporting actress, you know, everything. She's so fantastic as oh, yeah. Annie Wilkes. I mean, not enough can be said for that. Um, so, yeah, Misery, 1990. That's that's a great pick for me, Rob Reiner. I think, and, and honestly, stand by me in misery. 
are hands down two of the best King movies ever. Yeah. I mean, Stand By Me mm-hmm. may be my overall favorite because right. he brings such a humanity to all of his characters. And because he's not traditionally thought of as a quote unquote genre filmmaker. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think also being an actor, really good comedic actor. Uh, and of course, who his dad is, <laughs> that doesn't hurt. Uh, I think that he just right. brings something to a story like this. But I think Rob Reiner initially had a different director in mind, and then it got yeah, scrapped. they pulled out. We yeah. talked about all of that in depth on the Winter with Stephen King episode. Okay. So go check that out. Go check that episode out if you want to hear the more in-depth, uh, minus me. And, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we just had the notes for it. So I, you know, I don't, I, I'm right now. I'd just be sitting here guessing and then probably get it wrong. Sure. Sure. So. Actually, you know, I think about was that on that episode was that, that was a Stephen King one, right? No, you were, was, the, no, you, were, you were on the second one. We didn't want you on this one. Cause we didn't want you trashing the endings of the shining or misery. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Cute. That well, well played Dave. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is my number three pick, and I love it. Misery from 1990. Wolfman, what is yours? So I have a feeling my top three here is bust, but luckily they're all films I've talked about a lot previously. So uh, yeah, go ahead and check out Horror Movie Podcast episode 138 for my glowing review of Misery 1990. <laughs> I feel like I go. should get a prize. I should get a prize. <laughs> For all the times yeah, I've done it, like yeah. the same number. Oh my God. Wow. That's something. I give it a 10 out of 10. Yes. And I said, buy it. This is one of my favorite films of all time. I, you know, of any genre, mm-hmm. I just love the tone and setting. It's just right in my wheelhouse in terms of the type of stuff that I enjoy. So yeah, I definitely tell people to check it out and really do listen to that episode. I think it is one of our best. Yeah. And I, I will tell you a secret, Josh, we've never covered it on Retro Movie Geek. And the reason why is because I wanted you to be involved. It's because Daryl probably hates it. <laughs> oh, no, he probably does. And he'll use it as an opportunity to to try to flummox me in any way possible. But we never covered it. And I honestly, I think when I found out you were as big a fan of it as I was, I was like, well, I got to wait for Josh. And for whatever reason, it's never obviously come up yet. But eventually, we are covering it. And nice. it's, it's literally, I've got it. It's waiting. It's like, it's, it's in a reserve spot. For you, that is why it's there. I did get the Scream Factory Blu-ray, yep, so me too. It's I, great. I need to watch all of those yes. special features. There's a lot before. of good special features on it. It's really good. It's yes. one of my favorites. Yeah, it's really good. All right, let's find out, Dave. Do we have a three-peat? <laughs> uh, no, no, we <laughs> okay, don't. Okay, actually, okay. That, that was that was very happy. Now, now I now I cringe every time it <laughs> kicks over to you, Joel. But um, yeah, my number three is uh, based on a short story by Clive Barker titled The Forbidden. Oh, it yes. is Candyman. Nice. Um, it introduces what I think is another iconic character to the world of horror, played by Tony Todd. Uh, he's kind of a killer with a tragic past. It's about a grad student, uh, Helen, played by Virginia Madsen. She's researching a thesis paper on urban legends and the effect that they have on society. And, and she learns about this uh, figure known as the Candyman. It dates back to the 19th century. Candyman, played by Tony Todd was the son of a slave, was allegedly murdered for falling in love with a white woman. Uh, he has his hand cut off and replaced with a hook, and then his body is smeared with honey, and he's stung to death by a swarm of bees. According to the legend, anyone who repeats Candyman's name five times into a mirror will immediately bring him back from the dead, costing whoever it was stupid enough to do that their life. Uh, so hoping to dig deeper, Helen... She goes into this housing project. She runs into a lot of residents who have attributed this string of murders to Candyman. 
Yet through it all, she remains skeptical. So she goes and she tempts fate by saying Candyman's name five times. But she quickly changes her tune a few days later when she's confronted by a very big, very real individual claiming to be Candyman. Uh, Tony Todd is one of the things I love about this movie. His, his, his physical presence, his unmistakable voice brings, brings so much charisma to this film. He is Candyman, and he remains, even though he's menacing, he remains a sympathetic character, not just for his past, but it's almost like he was fueled by this injustice. And his ultimate goal goes sort of beyond simple revenge. I thought Virginia Madsen also did a, did a good job. And there are some strong scenes that take place in that housing project uh, where Helen interviews a mother, Anne-Marie, played by Vanessa Williams, uh, also figures prominently in, in Candyman's scheme. Most of the murders are committed off screen. That's in, due in large part to a plot point I'm not going to talk about here. But there's more than enough blood, you know, to convince us that whatever happened in these, in these instances must have been pretty gruesome. It's got some surprising twists. It has a lot to say about race, about urban decay. It's kind of a horror film with a conscience in a way. And it's a character in a movie, I think, that's earned its place uh, among the elite. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy this film. Am I the only one that counted every time you said Candyman? Because he would. Jeez, oh, no. I, yeah, yeah. He would, oh, I don't have any mirrors. He, you are tempting so. fate, sir. You said it nine times at least. Wow. Well, thank God I don't have any mirrors. Okay. Jeez, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great pick. So I mentioned earlier that there's one Clive Barker film that could have made my list, and Candyman is that film. I absolutely in love with this movie. Totally freaked me out as a kid. I remember one sleepover specifically. My friend and I, we were best friends at the time. He lived next door to my grandma and we were sleeping out in sleeping bags on my grandma's lawn talking about this movie. We both got so freaked out. We would just pull our sleeping bags up over our heads and talk about the movie sleeping bag to sleeping bag. <laughs> A couple of little weirdos. Isn't it fascinating what kids think will protect them? It is always so yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely love this movie. I'm super excited for the Jordan Peele remake. I hope Tony Todd is properly included in that remake. Agreed. It almost made my list. And this was another one where I was thinking, okay, I know either Dave or Josh is going to come through and they're going to give this movie it's due. So I'm um, going to take a chance and, Thankfully, you did. That's awesome. Great pick. All right. Thank you. All right. Let's do it. Number two. All right. So here we go. Top two. Now, this movie, for a long time, when creating this list, I should say, not like I said a long time as in for the last years, but for this list was number one. And it's a movie that I've seen multiple times. I have talked about it. I believe on this show, I know on Retro Movie Geek, I have about the fact that the opening of this movie, I have without exaggeration, probably seen 40 to 50 times. Easy. Just because I worked at the movie theater when it was out and I made sure every single showing it started, I was conveniently, I'm using the air quote finger thing here right now. I was conveniently uh, in the auditorium uh, making sure, you know, everybody's where they're supposed to be and everything's <laughs> going fine because I had to see the beginning of Scream from 1996 because uh, I love it mm. and I love nice. it on a level that's probably unhealthy. Uh, maybe I, I would say I probably love it almost to the level that Josh does. I don't know. Never heard I, of it. I, oh, okay. No, <laughs> you know, it is Josh, Josh, Josh. You, I think would love the TV series <laughs> probably yes, more than the movies in, the, in this case. Unlike Buffy, this is like the opposite. You would love the TV show, but 
yes, it is a movie that hit me at like this perfect time where I was 20 years old. We actually screened it because one of the things we would do is we get the print and this is back in the old days where there was sexual you know, celluloid involved. And we had to, we would put the print together uh, we get the reels in and you put the print together and you would actually have to put it on the platters and test it the night before it was going to open because otherwise in case you get these things called a green print where the film would be still wet from, from I guess the development process and it would stick together right. and sure is mm, this movie had it. This movie actually had one, I think it was the second reel kept sticking and it would, that's when you would be in the movie and suddenly it would lock out and it would just, you'd see the, the, the film melting because it was caught. Yeah. And, and so that I probably don't have nowadays for the most part, but it, it would happen. <laughs> but we screened it that night and it didn't do it. So I was able to watch it from beginning to end without interruption. Thank God, because it would have been horrible if this had gotten interrupted. I think the, although it was the Friday night showing when it really started to become a cluster. But I remember watching this at like midnight. And usually when you'd screen a movie, unless it was a really great one, it sometimes was hard. You know, you've been working all day and then you have to sit there till two o'clock in the morning and watch a movie. So depending on the movie, sometimes that was easy. Sometimes it wasn't. This was easy. And I will never forget having to go up into that booth at two o'clock in the morning. And it was this long quarter. All the lights are out. I'm pretty much the only one left in the building. Everybody, there's a few other people who had stayed to watch it with me. They had already gone out and there was a room that the makeshift room that they would throw, you know, maybe old posters in or, or things that they just didn't need in this little kind of alcove. And it was right next to house number one, which is where we had scream threaded up and I had to go turn it off. And oh my God. And there's like this <laughs> long, long, like really uh, steep staircase you had to go up to, to get to the booth. Well, I was a 20 year old man. You would have thought I was eight i was so scared <laughs> i was i would and the whole time i'm thinking what are you scared of what do you think ghost faces in the give me a break come on man i was like <laughs> and i just i bolted i'm like shutting flipping switches and i just ran I, I was like i think i got it all and uh and i got out of there and it was all good and then we ended up watching it again i think the eve of my like right before my wedding i had some friends and my stepfather was there and some other people we actually after hours went in there we watched it one more time you know private screening by ourselves I just, I love Scream so much. I, don't even, I haven't even talked about the movie proper. I think everybody listening to this knows what Scream is. And I feel like it's a movie <laughs> that over the years, I remember it getting a level of crap from people as like, well, that, you know, yeah, that movie's the one that you know, ruined horror movies or, it, you know, it's like, it didn't ruin anything. Okay. I mean, that's, I don't think that's a fair thing to say that because it was meta and self-referential. I mean, up to that point, it had been done, but never like that. And the thing I watch and I appreciate every time I rewatch it is it's all played straight. Yes, it's got humor in it. Yes, it has moments of levity and and, and the self-referential quality, but the characters are life and death. And the twists and turns it takes, I know Daryl loves to bust my chops about that ending. I, at the time... My mind was freaking blown because I had seen a lot of slasher movies. I had seen a lot of movies like that. And for whatever reason, I didn't see coming what came. And I, I, I refuse to spoil it even now. And every time he does spoil it on our show, I bleep him out <laughs> because I feel like they're like, to your point, Dave, there'll be somebody <laughs> out there who's never seen it. You know, they're 14 years old or 15 years old. And they finally get a hold of scream and they're watching it. And I feel like you should also get your mind blown. And it's a, I mean, the ending is dark and bloody and it's brutal at times. I mean, people forget yeah. that. And if you've ever seen the un quote unquote unrated version, it gets pretty graphic. So, uh, I scream. I just love you. I love you scream.
Hmm, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I think I think you. I I could be wrong. I have been wrong before about you, Josh. I feel like you'll at least give it a, Actually, a you've six. Been pretty right on about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you'd at least give it a six or 6.5. I think that would be your. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, that was my number two. So, Wolfman, what's your number two? My sure. number two is one of my all time favorite horror comedies, and it is Tremors. Uh, yes. I think Kevin Bacon in this is incredible. I, I love everything about this movie. I, this is one I can put on anytime, anywhere. The last time I watched it, I watched it with you guys. At the movie podcast network meetup event right. on a big screen. That, I completely yeah, forgot about right. that. Holy I, crap. That was, the, that was the other movie we saw along with uh, Better Watch Out. Yes, it was. Yeah. That was so much fun. Oh, that was, that was a blast. Yeah. So, yeah, if nothing else, I like it for that reason. That was fun. We got to watch a movie together. Yeah, that's true. Out, so. yeah. I think it's that the only awesome. movie other than Better Watch Out that the three of us have ever watched together. Well, Friday the 13th, part four. Well, to be fair, I left like 15 minutes in because I get tired real easy. <laughs> so Dave just falls asleep in the theater, but my wife was yeah, really waiting, yeah. waiting for, for me to come help out with three kids in, in a townhouse that she wasn't familiar with. So I was, I was like, okay, well, my, my wife had gone shopping and she didn't need to see me. Okay. Anyway, see, so. see, you have the benefit of your kids weren't there. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. Yes. That is an excellent pick, Josh. I am so happy that you made that your number two, because that movie is all kinds of awesome. Dave. All right. My number two. Uh, my number two has brought me to the conclusion, Joel, that your ass is never going before me again. My number two is Scream oh from God, 1996. So <laughs> it was episode 65, part of our Scream, the initial uh, entry in our Scream franchise review where we discussed it. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but yeah, there's just so much to love about this film. That opening is probably one of the, if not the most iconic openings, I think, for a horror film. I love it. Yes. I really do. And and I could watch that opening. I could watch it a hundred times. And, and the movie itself. It could be a short film on its own. I feel like that opening could just stand alone as just this really amazing short horror film. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. So much about it. Laying out the rules of horror and my number two as well. It's a movie that I could watch anytime it's on, no matter where I pick it up. When that movie came out, you had had A New Nightmare, which came out in 94, mm-hmm. had an element of meta to it, but it was different. It was almost more about like the actor, like the actual real people. And so it was a little bit different, which of course it is still cool that Craven is connected to both. Sure. And there had been obviously movies that had parodied and, you know, self-reference and that's good, kind of, but nobody, I think it was Scream did it in such a way for that subgenre. It, it wasn't just that it was self-referential. It wasn't just that it was you know, meta. It was that it did it all and yet still felt like an excellent horror movie in its own right. I think that is what really made it stand apart. I think the fact that Quentin Tarantino, who really popularized postmodernism in cinema, the fact that he wishes that one of his regrets was passing on directing Scream, I think that says a lot. Yeah, I could see that being a Tarantino movie. And Robert Rodriguez passed on it also. Wow. Interesting. Oh, well, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad they did because I love that at at the later part of Craven's career, uh, that that is such a sort of a key element. I just think it ties in nicely. You know, the beginning you have a lot of really great classic horror, and then in the I mean, there's there's things mixed in, but it's definitely kind of up and down. And then you definitely have the, in my opinion, the solidness of the Scream movies there for him. So, oh yeah, that makes me happy. Definitely. All right, here we go. Here it is. We made it all the way to the end. 
It's time for our number one horror movie from the 1990s. My number one, if either of you have it, I would legitimately be surprised. Must be nice. Because this is a movie. <laughs> what? okay so this is a movie that while you could easily say well is it really a horror it's kind of a fantasy with all this kind of comedy and yeah but what it's a part of in my opinion immediately makes it a horror movie and it is one of my favorite movies ever and in fact probably as i'm even saying this if i was given the opportunity right now and i don't know which one i would remove so don't ask i would probably add this to my top 10 of all time list, if given the option. I think the only reason I didn't at the time was because its predecessor ended up on my top 10 list. And that's because my pick for my 1990s list, my number one is Army of Darkness from 1992. Hmm. Nice. Interesting. It's got this kind of fantasy vibe to a degree. And you've got, you know, it's back in the Middle Ages with knights. That's just not my usual cup of tea. But it's also got Bruce Campbell's ash and his boomstick kicking deadite butt all over the place. And while it's funny and it's goofy and it's absurd, it is just amazing. And I love it. And have I guys ever told you the story about the first date I went on with this uh, girl that was at worked at the same place as I did. We uh, went on a date to this movie opening weekend. Okay. This is one of those movies where when you're, I think it was 17 when it came out and I was just on pins and needles for when this was coming out. I was so excited. I'd been reading about it in Fango. I think I even still have a couple of issues of Fangoria from when this movie came out. I still have, um, you remember Cine Fantastique, mm-hmm. that magazine? Yeah. And it w- it's on the cover. It, it just says Evil Dead 3 because I don't think at that point they knew it was going to be Army of Darkness. And it's this really awesome uh, rendering of Ash on, you know, holding up the, the chainsaw hand and his shotgun. And I still have that. Like I was obsessed with just the anticipation of this movie. So this wonderful at the time, I thought uh, young lady uh, worked at the same place. Uh, it was a grocery store and I'm 17. I think she was 19. So I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, ho ho, I got a 19 year old. Actually, she's willing to go to a movie with me. And it was a double date. I don't even remember the two people that went with us. I'd be honest. It could be somebody that I'm actually still friends with today, but I don't remember. Like I have no memory. I just remember that she went with me. And so we go into this movie. And again, I am probably more jonesed that I'm going to see this movie than that I'm on a date with a 19 year old when I'm 17. So <laughs> I go in, we, we start watching the movie. At some point in the movie, I have this memory of her trying to hold my hand. And I think I did, but I, again, didn't care. I'm into it, man. I'm into it in a big way. So movie ends, mind blown. I'm so just over the moon. I remember we get to the parking lot and she says the following. Well, that sucked. Done. I don't remember saying anything rude to her. I just remember like, <laughs> okay, well, yeah, look at the time. We got to go. I took her home and I remember like she tried to give me hugs. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, do the friend hug. Like the, you know, like, you know, hips far away, pat. Okay, yeah. Right, right, got in my right. car. Boom. <laughs> never again. Never another date, which I'm glad because a year and a half later, I met my future wife. But I'm just saying. <laughs> the, and here's the difference. My wife, I have no doubt, couldn't care less about this movie. But you know what she's never said? She has never said it sucks because right. she ha- she gets it. She gets that my love for this movie is pure and uh, she respects it. And that's why I love wow. my wife. So I'm just saying Army of Darkness is my number one for all those personal reasons. And because it's an awesome movie. I took my now wife, then girlfriend to this on our first date. Oh, that's all. That's right. You told me that a long time ago. She just looked over at me as in what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> 
because she hadn't seen any of the other movies, uh-huh. obviously, at this point. And I was not, I've said this before, I was not allowed to pick another movie for a year and a half, um, <laughs> which is why I saw the Gerard Depardieu, My Father the Hero, and Casper, <laughs> and all these other movies, um, until I finally got to pick another one, which ended up being in the name of the father. And I guess in her eyes, I sort of redeemed myself for that one. Um, she never said it sucked. She just looked at me in the middle of the movie and said, what the hell did you bring me to? <laughs> But I, I'm with you. I mean, I love this movie, too. I like all the movies. I do. I, I like all of the movies, and this one fits right in perfectly with it. Yeah. Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, uh, they're going, and even Ted Raimi, they're going to be at Spooky Empire. And I intend to get some autographs, and I went out and I sought two items that I could get signed, okay? And I did want to just do, first off, posters for this movie and for Evil Dead 2. Yeah, you're paying. Okay. So I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. I having to explain to my wife, you spent how much on a poster? So I couldn't do that. But here's the thing. Laser discs are the size of records and they make frames for records now. And I was like, that's perfect. Cause it kind of looks like a poster and it's frameable. Yeah, and there you go. That's awesome. Anyway, needless to say, my love for this series and this movie and uh, Evil Dead 2 for that matter runs very, very deep. Yeah. So I I've only seen this once and it was on television and I don't know if I saw the whole thing. Are you joking? I can seriously, all the other things aside, are you really being serious right now? I'm dead serious. I I brought up William before on the show. We watched a lot of movies together. We're teenagers, I guess I was at his house. I can, again, specifically, I remember I was sitting on this couch in his basement and he was watching it when I came over and we watched, I think the rest of it. And then that's it. That's what I have seen in the film. Really? See, yeah. and what's interesting, I bet you, I could be wrong, I bet you'd watch it now and you'd be like, yeah, okay. I think this is a movie that if you see it at the right time, mm. it would stay with you forever. But I don't know. I'd be interested to know that, you know, being a, a grown man with life experience and, and, you know, gone through everything you've got, I'd just be interested to know if you would have... like the, a, I think it was the fantasy element. I had seen Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, and I had really liked them, but... It was, you know, I, this felt very different to me. And I was like, oh, okay, like this is very different. Yeah, it is. It and, is. And, and yeah, for some reason, I just ne- had never occurred to me to watch it again. I have liked Ash versus Evil Dead as well. So I know we've talked about doing that franchise review in yeah. the future. And yeah. I, I think that'd be fun to watch all of these. Yes, it would yeah, be. We have, we have to do yeah. that one. And thankfully, there's really, and I've never seen the remake, which I really want to, but I just haven't had a chance to yet. Um, and I think I've seen all of Ash versus Evil Dead except for the last season, which I need to get on. Uh, but I think that the great, great thing about Evil Dead is a franchise review that from what I understand about the remake and after watching the majority of the show, there's really not a stinker <laughs> in the budget. It's like, right. you know, you really don't have to, for the most part, across the board, it's all really enjoyable. And I did really enjoy the remake too. I, 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 that for me, that's one of that's right up there with for you, like Night of the Living Dead. Evil, the Evil Dead remake is right up there for me as one of oh, the great cool. remakes. I, I really loved it. Yeah, that's excellent. All right, let's do it. Number one, Wolfman. Don't break my heart. Scream. <laughs> I think it's interesting. You, you almost whispered "scream." Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like from a whisper to a scream. Ah, which, which is a song <laughs> in the movie. Nice. I, I mean, look, we've. I was very fortunate to be a guest on Retro Movie Geek number forty-seven, where we reviewed "Scream" together, Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had the chance to review this film with Dave. We did the entire "Scream" franchise review. That was episode sixty-five through sixty. What would have been eight? 
But mm-hmm. episode 65 in particular was a really fun episode. It was completely dedicated to the first film. And Dr. Walking Dead was on that show. And it, I think it was a really fun episode. And I actually really liked that whole franchise review. It was a lot of fun. This was a film that just, you know, some people you mentioned earlier think this ruined horror. Those people are obviously delusional. This film saved horror. This is the reason that studios started spending money on horror movies again. And, uh, you know, it was a cultural phenomenon to the height, I think, of films like A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. I think this was a new horror icon and... I can speak for myself. I saw this in the theater at least a half dozen times. This was a movie that I saw in the theater and I'm just like, what? I did not expect that. I could not imagine loving anything more. It's very easy to take for granted, especially since people have become tired of the postmodern meta approach to filmmaking. But at the time it was fresh and it was speaking to people like us, the, you had to know horror to get all the references, to get all those jokes, to get all of that commentary. And so it felt like a movie that was handmade for me. And yes. I just appreciated that so much as I, you know, where I was as a horror fan at that time in my life, you know, as I mentioned, I hadn't really been as much into horror through the nineties, except for, you know, going back and revisiting eighties horror that I loved. I felt outside the horror community in the nineties. And this movie just kind of brought me back in, in a big way. And I took everyone I knew to this movie. Every couple days, I would tell another person, listen, I know you don't like horror movies. You got to trust me. You got to come to see this movie. You're going to love it. And they loved it. You know, and yes. we, I did that over and over and over again. I took a date to this film. I had an experience very similar to the one you guys are describing with Army of Darkness, where the girl was just like, no. <laughs> but um other than her, everyone I took it to absolutely loved it as well. I was in high school at the time. I saw this movie. It was just the perfect movie for me at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's just continued to be a movie that I love. And yeah, it's my number one. That is excellent. And I like how you pointed out the iconic nature of Ghostface and that I, I always think of Ghostface is to the early slashers as Creature from the Black Lagoon Gilman is to the universal mm. monsters that yeah. years and years and years later, right. De- you know, decade and a half pretty much later from the Wolfman, which is also somewhat removed from the earlier of Dracula and Frankenstein, but they're always kind of you know put together. And, you know, the fact that it seems so far removed, but yet when we think about them, they're all kind of together. And to me, Ghostface is on par with those earlier slashers, even though, without giving anything away <laughs> it's the it's really in that case the costume that is the consistent factor well for me it's the it's just this film it, it's presence in popular culture it left just as big a footprint for me on popular culture as those films did yeah yeah for sure that's definitely excellent number yeah. one let's do it dave what do you got number one okay my number one is a movie that would might not have made my list if I did this maybe five, six years ago. Uh, it's one I reviewed on episode 121 of HMP. Nice. And I could not get it out of my head. I've seen it actually twice since then, and it has really just blown me away with uh, with what it with the way it was presented, with the way it is it is constructed. And that is 1999's Audition, directed by Takashi Miike. Hmm. Um, this movie, 
the last third of it is so shocking because the first two thirds kind of play with a few exceptions. There are some pretty intense scenes in, in the first two thirds of the movie as well play like a drama romance. Uh, there's this uh, older guy. He works in the film industry. Uh, he's been a widow for seven years. His son recommends, Hey, I want you to find a, another wife, but he hasn't even, he's been out of the dating loop for so long. He doesn't know what to do. So his friend, a movie producer says, why don't we put on these auditions for a fake movie, bring in all these women, you look at the headshots, you pick the ones you like, and uh, maybe you'll find a girl that way. Well, he does. He picks this girl, Asami. She's a former ballerina. She had a leg injury a while back. She can't dance anymore. Uh, he's physically attracted to her, but uh, this guy is, is, is even more impressed with her braveness. You know, the, the fact that she was, she's had this adversity and she, she wants to overcome it now and, and get into acting, but she's not what she seems to be. And we learn that pretty quickly. Like I said, the first half to two thirds of the movie is like a drama romance. But once we find out about Asami, what she has done and just how twisted she is, the movie starts building from there until it gets to the almost unbearable final act where she is alone with her new man. The, uh, I guess his name is uh, Ioma. Uh, the executive with the film production company who ends up being uh, her significant other. And I'm not even just going to say it's tough to watch. There are moments it's almost impossible to watch uh, where it goes, um, you know, with the violence and with just just the, le the level of what's happening. This is a good guy, you know, even though, you know, he had this thing where he sort of lured, lured these girls in. He wasn't even sure if he wanted to do that. This guy doesn't deserve what happens to him. He just hooked up with a complete psychopath. And the performances are strong. And it really is a gut punch, the ending of this movie, to the point that I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I know I'm probably going to watch it many more times. It just really blew me away um, after I saw it for that episode. I think I reviewed it as a collector's crypt with the new Arrow release. So that is my number one. It's Takashi Miike's audition. Excellent. Great pick. I've only seen it once. I need to revisit it, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's a great movie. And I still haven't seen it despite you telling me to, Dave. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what, though, Joe? I don't... <laughs> this gets into some really heavy violence and torture. This is one I wouldn't say, hey, Joel, this is in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I think you should see it. I do. I think you should see it. But I don't know if this is one that you're going to be raving about. Gotcha. But I do think it's worth seeing. And I think um, it's just so it's skillfully made. And, and it's a great movie. Okay. I will see it. I will make okay. that commitment. This is one of those. I will take your word for it. And Alrighty. I will uh, go in with an open mind and a vomit bag. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll be prepared to squirm as it gets uh, toward the end, without a doubt. Okay. All right, so those are all of our picks, our top 10s for the 1990s, and I guess you guys want to do a real quick rundown of our various honorable mentions. My honorable mentions are as follows. I only have four because, again, People on the Stairs was in my original top 10 list. So the first one is Scream 2. I'm not being lazy. <laughs> I actually really love Scream 2 a lot. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I think it is a fantastic sequel. I think it has... It doesn't quite do what the first one did, but that's only because the first one had already done it. But the even the ending and everything, it was surprising in a way. It wasn't as satisfying, but it was still satisfying. So, and it's also sort of my, my introduction to Timothy Oliphant, who has gone on to become one of my favorite actors. I mean, 
everything from the Santa Clarita diet and justified to like everything that guy's in. He's just great actor. Um, it's, it's a, I think scream Two is just a fun movie. I love the setting. I love the vibe of it. I'm still pissed about Randy and, uh, yeah. So scream Two. my next pick is a vampire movie. Josh, Uh uh-huh. The night flyer. Also from oh. 1997. Oh, yeah. You that don't... one hurt to leave off. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like you hated it. The way you started. No, I, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I, and it's one of those that I remember liking a lot when I first saw it. And I ended up not seeing it for a while. And then we covered it. I think it was for one of the spooky flicks or something. I feel like we covered it not that long ago. Well, it, we talked about you were on the episode on the Stephen King oh, maybe episode that's of what it was. where we talked about that it well. might be what it was. That might be what it was. And I had revisited it and I just I loved it even more. Like there's just something about it. You know, I know the I remember Mark Pavia, the guy who directed it and wrote it. I think he had somehow managed to convince King to let him make it. Like it was one of those like I don't think it was a dollar baby situation, but maybe it was where, you know, King opt- let him option the story for for relatively nothing and they made it pretty low budget. Miguel Ferreira is fantastic as he always is uh, as the lead mm-hmm. and it's just it's such a cool idea conceptually uh, about this vampire who uses a plane and just goes from this one town to the next town. It's just it's such a cool 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 idea. And I uh, just really really enjoy that movie a lot. Yeah, you were with us on Horror Movie Podcast episode 125, The Horror Movies of Stephen King Part 2, which were we covered all of his films from 1997 to 2017. And uh Nightflyer was in there. Yes, excellent. Oh. Yeah, it's a goodie. So, okay, now my next two. <laughs> now, these are the ones where I, this one I probably get marginally less crap for, but my last one I'm certainly going to get crap for. Uh, this one is a sentimental favorite. I've talked about it ad nauseum on on Retro Movie Geek. Uh, I may have mentioned it here, my love for it, and the fact that I had this VHS tape, which had the really bizarro triple feature of Halloween 4, uh, Gleaming the Cube, and this movie. And I watched the hell out of that tape for some reason. And oh man, Gleaming the Cube is one of my most watched movies of my life. Yeah, that though these three movies because they're all on the same tape. I'll never forget it. I wish I still had it just for it probably wouldn't work anymore, but uh this is Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. I like that entry. I really do yeah. like that entry. It's not perfect. Uh, Jeff Burr is the director of it. He also did Stepfather 2. He did uh, The Offspring, which is also known as From a Whisper to a Scream, uh, which is an anthology horror film. I'm actually a big fan of his. And it's a it's a lower budget movie. I think he was brought on very late in the game to it being made. Um, that cl- this sort of famous teaser trailer of the the hulking mass of Leatherface facing the water, but you don't know it's him. And it's like very. It's, I remember it's this very sort of sweet music playing, and you see this thing rise out of the lake, and it turns out it's this giant chainsaw like Excalibur, yes, and, it, right, and right. it flies <laughs> to him. He grabs it, turns around, cranks it up. Apparently, that all was shot before Jeff Burr had even been hired. Like they made that before the movie had one frame of footage had been uh, shot for the film. There's something about the movie that I just, it connected with me at the time. I've always loved it. Uh, It's probably other than the original. It's my favorite uh, Chainsaw Massacre movie. And uh, yeah, so that's my third pick. And my final pick, (laughs) this is the one I'm going to get crap for. You know, you have those movies you just can't explain. You just can't. I can't. (laughs) I cannot logically or rationally explain to you. Why? Because you're going to say, what the hell? And I don't have a good reason other than I just love this movie. I saw it at a drive-in with my dad and my sister. I think I think my sister was there. And I I just remember 
loving it. And I saw it at least two or three more times, I think, at that same drive-in. And it's like a perfect drive-in movie because of what it is. I'm just going to say it. It's Sleepwalkers from 1992. <laughs> this, is, this is my... Okay. This is my honorable mention. This is a movie <laughs> that if you were saying, okay, Joe, are you putting together a, a list of the quote unquote best, greatest? Right. No, obviously <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but there is something I, I imagine uh, Amik or Amik, how you pronounce her name. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny whether I had a crush on her. Uh, but you know, she's, <laughs> plus her last name is Robertson in the movie. I'm just saying. And uh, it, 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 it's. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, Mick, the mind of a young man. Is it, is it, oh yeah. Yeah. We, we joked about that on, on, on retro movie geek about just, yeah. Wow. When you look back at yourself at 16, 17 years old, <laughs> yikes. Um, so Mick Garris directs this. I am a Mick Garris fan. Um, I, I just, as a person, he seems like he's a really good guy. And, uh, but just, I like a lot of his movies too. And I love this movie yeah. and I love that it has cameos in it with Barker and Hooper and King and, uh, and a Stephen King screenplay. Yeah, and yes, and it was original. And it was an original uh, screenplay that he wrote. It's a fun movie. Is it realistic? Does somebody get stabbed in the back with an ear of corn, and then uh, <laughs> and then a one liner is thrown at them about you know like no vegetables, no dessert? Sure, that does happen, <laughs> but it's still awesome. It's also got that great scene in the woods when they're on the date that this goes south so oh, yeah. quickly. It's a dark kind of twisted scene and. Yeah. You've got uh, pencils through the ear and into the brain and, and then followed right. by lines like cop kebab. I mean, come on. How do you not love this movie? So sleepwalkers. You know what? It's, it's fun. <laughs> so there's my honorable mentions. How honorable they are. You decide. I don't know. Uh, let's go. Josh Wolfman, what you got? Yeah, I just went with my faves. You know, I, I did make a whole list on Letterboxd that I'll publish for the show notes here that I that list is oriented in the best of rather than my favorites, but I came up with 90 great thrillers and horror films from the nineties that I thought would be worth people's time. So um, I can say, you know, I've given a lot of flack to the nineties, but I genuinely love, I'm talking love my top 35 films on that list. And I genuinely really, really like like my top, 5960 on that list like i'm those are still like eight out of tens for me the top 60 so nice. it's it's a pretty good decade we give it a lot of crap but there's there's a lot of great stuff in there these top five they were just the ones that really resonated with me at the time m night Shyamalan's the sixth sense kind of blew my hair back the first mm -hmm. time i saw it it's my number 11 you know it's light on the horrors but it, i think it qualifies it's a ghost story it's creepy i don't know that he will ever hit that height again but you know i don't know if that he needs to either i think if you make one of the best movies ever made that's enough right. uh my number 12 is blade this is a movie that i really clearly remember going to in the theater and I, it was at the time when, again, none of my friends were not big horror fans. They were obsessed with Phantasm for some reason, but that, I don't know why that was the only one, the one that they watched a lot. But I went to a lot of horror movies by myself, and I remember there would be always be like me and like one or two other goth kids from my high school that would, <laughs> I would see in the theater. And Blade was the first time where I saw both goth kids and jocks from my high school in a horror movie. And I thought, what is going on? What are these jocks here for? Are they here for the action movie part of this? And uh, that really blew my mind. Um, I think at some point I would like to do an action horror movie episode. Not my favorite subgenre, but I think it's one worth discussing. And Blade, I think, does it really well. 
Um, they are adding that to the Marvel Cinematic Universe coming up, so mm-hmm. I'm excited about oh, the new Blade awesome. movies. I yeah. can't wait for that. Frighteners, which was already mentioned, is my number 13. It's very goofy is the reason I kept it out of my top 10, but I just I love Michael J. Fox so much due to the Back to the Future films, and he just brings that same magic, I feel like, to this movie, although it is a little sillier. It's kind of like Ghostbusters Jr. Um, I, I like it a lot. The Blair Witch Project is my number 14. Again, I just think it's so significant, and I and I love it more and more the more I watch it. Um, had to put it on here. And my number 15 is Candyman. Candyman Candyman. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent, man. That's a great list. Absolutely. All right, Dave. Hit us. What do you got? All right. My honorable mentions. Most of these have already been uh, discussed. My would-be number 11 is, this is one that would not have probably even made my top 20 until I saw the director's cut, and it is Nightbreed. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, well. Yeah, I really was so impressed with that director's cut, and it definitely earned a spot. It was actually at number 10 for a while, uh, but I put it down to the honorable mentions just because I've only seen the director's cut once, and I do want to go back and watch it again, but I was really impressed with that. And it definitely is the one to, uh, to check out. Number 12 for me is Army of Darkness, which, you know, we've already discussed. 13 is The Faculty from 1998. I do love that movie. 14 is Misery. And my number five is the only one that hasn't been mentioned yet. It is Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow from 1999. Hmm. I completely forgot about Sleepy Hollow. There's mine. There's mine. I now we all three have done it now. I need to, that's when I need to revisit. I did not give that a fair shake the first time. It's strange. 99 would seem to me like a strong year for movies in general. I have uh, four of them on my list altogether. I like this movie. I love the way Tim Burton built Sleepy Hollow. I like Johnny Depp in the part. And it is. it just feels like a Tim Burton take on that, that Washington Irving story. And the Christopher Walken stuff didn't work for me. That whole portion of the film, I've only seen it once, but I loved the stuff with Johnny Depp in the village. But I just, once it got out to the woods, I just, I don't know. It was interesting. I'll have to try it again. Have you seen it since? No, I've never seen it again. Maybe I've, I've seen parts of it, but I've never rewatched the entire film. I think you should revisit it because it's really, yeah. it's a, it's a really great movie to the point where I think I actually, now that I think it through, it might've ended up either in my top 10, if not my honorable mentions, had I realized it was 99 and not forgotten. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> All right, I'll give it another try. All right. So there it is. There's our list. There's our honorable mentions. And that wraps up our 90s, which I guess means our next uh, episode will be the 2000s. Well, I think this has been successful. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. These have, these have been great. I've been enjoying these uh, a lot. I was a little bit bummed. I got to say that you guys got to my top three before I did. But I will <laughs> say, um, I think... You know, I have talked about all three of those films ad nauseum, so I was actually really glad to let this audience hear Joel's take on those yeah. without me kind of retelling the same stories I've already told on the podcast. So. Yeah. Well, I uh, I know that honestly, I mean, I thought the '80s would have been the most fun, and in a weird way, it was the most difficult for me. Yeah. Because I had right. divert, you know honorable mentions, and it was just so. I actually think this one has been my the most fun so far. Yeah which I was surprised by. I would encourage all of our listeners to leave their lists in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com. We want to hear what you agree with on our lists and what you vehemently disagree with, with my bottom, you know, four through 10. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> probably. Um, and then also, yeah, if you want to link to your Letterboxd accounts or whatever, I'm going to do that. And have, again, I have my top 90 movies from the 1990s list. I'll be linking in the show notes. We'd love to see all of your lists here. So come and share them with us and we'll have fun talking about them even more. I'm looking forward to it. As am I. So that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow Wolfman on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. Wolfman also appears on the Gods and Monsters, a Universal Monsters Cast podcast. You can follow Gods and Monsters at Monsters Cast on Twitter. And be sure to read Dr. Shock's written reviews over at DVDinfatuation.com. You can follow Doc on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. Doc also appears on the Land of the Creeps podcast. And be sure to check out my other show, Retro Movie Geek, at RetroMovieGeek.com, where we're talking about movies that are 20 years old or older. You can follow Retro Movie Geek on Twitter at RetroMovieGeek, and you can check out some of my older stuff over at ForgottenFlix.com. Oh, and of course, one other place you can find me is at Spooky Empire at the Tampa Convention Center. I will be there on Sunday, November 3rd. I will be wearing a long sleeve horror movie podcast tee. It'll have the green horror movie podcast label on it. I am the bald guy. So come find me. I'm hoping I will have some stickers, some H&P stickers or something to hand out to our listeners. So come and find me, introduce yourself. I would love to meet all of you that are going to be there. So please be sure to come and find me if you get a chance. We love reading and responding to your comments. So we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com where you can find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And be sure to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at HorrorMoviePodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 a month. Be sure to check it out at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. So easy, is it, Dave?
<laughs> you all laughed with Frederick Ingram, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got there eventually. <laughs> That's true. Yes, you're way quicker than I did. All right. Yeah. Good point. Never mind. I'll shut up. I think it's interesting. You said you don't feel like you were quote unquote that much of a horror fan. You were a horror fan, okay? I mean, whether if you were going and seeing even the latest release, I mean, lest we forget, '90s was a pretty big decade for studio horror. I mean, there was quite a few <laughs> major releases, right? And, and I feel mm-hmm. like if you saw a bulk of them, you're a horror fan, okay? And and I think that this idea that you know, only if you sought out, you know, these straight to video type movies. I mean, you know, if you did, you did. If you didn't, you didn't. Um, they weren't as easily obtainable as they are now so i i think that uh right because i feel like i looked at my list and i could have put some more obscure and i thought about it but a lot of them i hadn't seen in so long and i and i was saying this to dave so one of them i i'll even say i, I i'm hoping i'm well i don't i'm not gonna say it in case it's on one of your lists but there's a movie specifically that is a, a very early film of a very major filmmaker today that i remember loving 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 and i saw it like 15 plus years ago I, but it's been so long since I've seen it, and it's like I thought it'd be cool to put it on the list because it's. I feel it's, it's kind of a deep cut for those that aren't familiar with this filmmaker's early work. But it's been so long since yeah, I've I seen. I already know what you're talking about. I, I think I think you know <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But I you know, but I was like I I feel like I'm just kind of just guessing that I would still love it like I did, <laughs> and so right. I was like, okay, I haven't seen it in a long time. I do need to revisit it. So. I, so I, that yeah, was for of, me, I like that movie. Well, if it's the movie I'm thinking of, and I think it's a significant film, but it's not one of my favorites. You know what I mean? Does it start with a C? It does. Yeah. Okay, then yes, it's the same one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember it's like a smash cut into, uh, was it a beheaded statue or something? Like it just the whole, everything about it is just really well done. So did you just spoil with this? What the jump with the, I don't think I spoiled it. Did I? No, no, because you're not ready for it. It, it, it doesn't come at any specific time no. in the movie, you know, so I don't think anybody if can you need to, if you feel comfortable editing that down, that's fine, Josh. I don't think I did because I didn't say who no. it was or the exact circumstance. It's one of those that right. I watched it over and over again and it still got me every time. They spend quite a few. Uh, there's quite a few scenes in that hospital. Yes, so yeah. it, and it just happens once one specific moment. So. Mm-hmm. And Zodiac's another one that just has so many layers to it as you're watching it. And, yeah. and then if you watch it again, it, it, it reveals a little bit more. And Zodiac's great. Zodiac is, is awesome. Yeah. Zodiac's one of my all time favorite films. I think it's so well made. I, and I just love films that are based on true stories and it's, there's so much richness to the telling of that story, the way Fincher presents it. Mm-hmm. I also really like the game is one of my favorite yes. films from yes. this era. Yes. The game is a great mm. one too. Was he involved in some capacity or am I remembering that right? Oh, he's like, yeah, he was, he was one of the producers. He yeah, basically right. came up with the story. Our good friend, Matt Greenberg, who also worked on the pet cemetery remake this last year, um, was involved with, uh, the screenplay on it, but he basically told me, yeah, originally in the original pitch, it did reference four, five and six. And it tried to make that stuff work. And I don't remember who he had said, made that final decision. Now let's just cut all that stuff out and forget about those films. But, um, yeah, that, that was a decision that was made later after the original drafts. I can't watch it. I've tried, like I had a deal going with Matroid and Station that if I watched Buffy, they would watch Survivor. <laughs> we tried to do a swap. Wait, are there like 18 seasons of Survivor? No, there's 38 seasons oh, of Survivor. Oh, okay. Wow, sorry. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. <laughs> 
no, but the deal wasn't to watch everything. Oh, okay. We were trading okay. a season for a season, and okay. uh, they watched one episode of Survivor, and I watched the best episode and a half of Buffy, and then that deal never went any further. Wow. Yeah. Well, most recently, me and Liz said, "Hey, if we come over, like I'll come over and watch it with her, and then she can explain to me what's good about it, and vice versa with yeah. Survivor. You know, we can kind of explain to each other why." We like it. Yeah. <laughs> but Matt gave me like a playlist. He's like, watch these seven episodes and I bet you'll like the show afterwards. So, and he's probably I'm right. I'm still trying. I'm yeah. still trying. Yeah. But, <laughs> okay. I'm a C Dubs HBK on Twitter. I've been in the horror movie podcast community now for, it'll be three years in December. The first episode I ever heard was um, the top 10 of 2016. I thought it was so cool. I missed out getting to put my votes in, obviously, but I put my votes in on the 2017 and the 2018. So if it gets done again in 2019, that'll be awesome. And that will mark exactly my third year of being in the HMP community. Since then, um, Wolfman Josh has uh, sent me a Scooby-Doo t-shirt with all the uh, horror icons on it, like uh, Jason and Freddie and Michael which didn't quite fit, so I had a girl make it into a pillow, which is awesome. And I've bought some of um, Dr. Shock's movies. He sent me movies a couple of times. And then there was something about a face on a computer screen, which I wasn't there for. Do you want to say something about that before we close it? So what happened with that was I was trying to video record uh, a Shaggy video. It wasn't me because I really thought that song was pretty cool. So I was recording that on uh, a little camcorder I got for my birthday. <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't know why I was doing it that way. But I was filming it, and I had the camcorder <laughs> in front of the laptop that I was recording it off of. And I'm looking at like the, uh, the camcorder screen, and I see this black-figured face come inside the frame. And I was like, nah, that's something's in my eye you know there's that can't be that can't be true so i look at the computer screen it's the regular video still playing i look back at the the little camcorder and there's still that face just sitting there and i like bling my eyes i rub my face i look back at it and it is still there and i said nope shut the camcorder shut the laptop walked outside sat in my neighbor's yard called my mom and was like I don't like this house there's something weird going on right now and the whole time I'm sitting there all this weird you know weird stuff that's happening in the house is coming from my old room and the whole time it's a two-story house so I'm sitting there and I can just feel something staring at me from my room Goodbye Horses. Yeah, they used that again in Maniac, uh, the remake of Maniac. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you hear it, you think, oh, wow, it's that Sounds of the Lamb song. That's what I think it's always (laughs) going to be known. Yep, yep, yep. I think it's in Clerks 2 as well. Oh, is it? (laughs) Wow. I'm guessing it was with Jay and Silent Bob. Definitely Jay. Yeah, Jay does a little... Yeah, Jay does a little Buffalo Bill tuck. tuck. Actually, actually, I also, from the trailer for their Jay, was it uh, the Jay and Silent Bob uh, reboot or whatever they're calling it? Uh, I yeah. think they do it at the beginning of that as well. Oh, wow. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. 
if people are, are going to put Twilight in horror, yeah. I think oh God, no See, that, uh, yes, you can, yes, you can ignore Interview with a Vampire. No, no, I no really way. wish. I really wish you hadn't compared this to Twilight. He did. No, he did. No, 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 no he's comparing it no, to Twilight. No, he's not. He's not, not at all. I'm just. I'm comparing people who say it's not horror. I've seen. I've heard people defend Twilight as horror. For me, Rob Reiner, I think he made his three best movies, in my opinion, within like a four year. Sp- this was 1990, right? Was this? Was, yep. Yeah. Yeah. In a four year span he, with uh, Stand By Me, The Princess yes, Bride and obviously you. Misery. Yes. I don't include um, this is Spinal Tap. I talked about this on Land of the Creeps recently because that seemed more of a group effort. And they made all those mockumentaries without Reiner eventually, even though he directed this is Spinal Tap, you know? Yeah, those four films. I think if you just look at those three, I think you can forget all about North. You know, and just <laughs> yeah, oh, just yes. forgive him for, for North. Sure, I think three. a few good men deserves to be. A in few that good movie. men was a good movie. Yeah, it's too. a good movie. That was a good movie as yeah. well. Yeah, uh, for me, that's on that same level. Okay. Well, funnily enough, between the time you get your number three, just kidding, <laughs> and now I've managed to watch Tremors. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was a great time, and I love that Friday. And now, and and we happen to be, well, I don't know if we want to say we're recording on a Friday the thirteenth. Yes, yeah. so we're, we're recording early. If a theater is doing that again tonight. Yeah, due to our scheduling, we had to record these episodes out of order, which I'm sure people are aware of this point but yeah as we recorded actually is a friday the 13th and they're having a friday the 13th marathon on amc that yes. joel was watching uh, while he was waiting for us to get yeah, it yes i was yes i actually got the philo app since i'm a, i do not have cable and uh, that i was able to get amc and i was happy to say oh and what's cool with philo I, I i know philo is not a sponsor and i assume if we end up having a sponsor for this episode cut this out uh, <laughs> josh but <laughs> honestly i didn't know that they actually have like a dvr built into it so i was able to like record them off tv and while i realized technically my kids are not yet at the place where they can see them they're gonna have the original and i was like okay my oldest is almost 13 and it's edited for tv i'm gonna watch it and if it's like really edited for tv i kind of feel like yeah i'm just saying just saying so i'm super just having on the back it just gives me a warm fuzzy god i'm weird so anyway so i found two i found evil dead 2 and laserdisc that's awesome for 30 bucks on eBay. We'll wait till I finish. T- and then you, I don't know if you want to keep this in or not, Josh, but it is a fun side story. I haven't told you guys yet. I don't think I've told you. I don't remember. I don't, I don't think so. Okay. So I'm on eBay. I'm just looking for stuff. I'm just, okay, let me find something. What would be good to get Bruce Campbell to sign and Sam Raimi? What you, okay. So I'm going through. I find these laser discs. Well, one of them was actually a Japanese one. It was a little bit more pricey. And then there was this other one and it said, get it signed by Scott Spiegel. Now, if anybody knows, he's the co-author or co-writer of Evil Dead 2, and he, he directed The Intruder, and he, you know he's been involved with yeah. you know, Raimi and Campbell, yeah. all those guys. So I was thinking, yeah. does this guy know Spiegel or something? I mean, that's a weird thing to offer that you could get it signed by Scott Spiegel. I was like, it seems, it's very <laughs> random. Like it's so I I went ahead and I said, okay, so I'm gonna message him. I, I was like, hey, just curious. Do you know Scott Spiegel or something? I mean, I noticed you said you could get an autograph, which I would love to get because I'm a fan, and I just left it at that. I get a message back. Yeah, I'm Scott. And I'm like, oh, wow. And, and I said, I, and of course, the cynic in me, which I'm really not a cynic, I'm pretty ridiculously optimistic about most things, but the cynic in me went, sure you are. But I did notice that the, like the, what the eBay name could be. Like, uh, like some of you know, like the initial like there were some things about it and then i noticed the location was at los angeles i was like okay well you know maybe who knows and so he had several other things on there that uh, like there were some production photos from evil dead 2 and some other stuff and uh, you know and look there are plenty of people that have side hustles where they and he had like a pretty good ebay store i mean he was definitely making some money um but 
I went ahead and was like, oh, yeah, absolutely, sign it. So he sent it to me. It was signed. He also sent a picture that is like a, like a, a kind of like a printout with, of, the, of the Evil Dead 2 art with the skull and everything. And it says, Groovy, Scotty Spiegel. And I looked at the address, the return address, and it says Scott Spiegel, Hollywood, California. It's got like the address. And I went, wow. I even looked up his autograph, like tried to see if anybody else got autograph. And it looks pretty much like the autograph that I have. Wow. So, That's awesome. I mean, there's a part of me that just was like, find the guy, like to actually physically like see him. <laughs> just to be sure so that's 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 a great story i mean that's really cool yeah so it's like this weird just series of so in theoretically there's still a part of me that goes i'm just i know i'm gonna find out that this is like some 16 year old in their basement and i totally got had but (laughs) the the there is a part of me thinks that could i actually have a laser disc of evil 2 that was owned by scott spiegel signed by scott spiegel (laughs) (laughs) well i'll tell you the easiest way to find this out is Message him again and invite him on the show. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good follow-up. That's a good point. I've heard you say, hey, just a side thing. You know, I did buy something from you. I can buy something else. <laughs> would you be uh, interested? Yeah. Yeah, that, that would be great. And tell me you can promote his uh, eBay store. <laughs> yeah, I can do For that. real. Yeah, promote whatever you want. Whatever you want, Scott. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. Not to put you on the spot. Scream wasn't in your top 10 overall, was it? Uh, no, no, it wasn't. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so... I saw that recently for a podcast. I guess it must have been for Land of the Creeps. So I saw it recently and yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I bought the Shout Factory uh, cover. Did you get the Shout Factory one of it, Dave? I still have the DVD. Okay. No, I haven't. I haven't upgraded. Yeah, so I didn't feel the need to upgrade. Okay. I'll be honest okay. with you. Okay. But. Yeah, I feel like when you said it's fun, if I was actually with you right now, you'd have been patting me on the head. <laughs> no, that's fun. <laughs> that's a fun movie, Joel. Yes, that's little a, Joel. Uh, yeah. I like that one that's too, a little fun. Joel. It's so good you finally saw yourself <laughs> a scary movie. <laughs> <laughs> i gotta say joel i'm so shocked you had the exorcist 3 at number nine i can't believe that I, I and, I, believe. and i swear i did not somehow hack into your pewter oh, i know you, i know you didn't i'm just i'm i'm i mean i you know what i can't say anything about scream at number two i i can't i can't even say anything about tremors at number four but I'm blown away. When you said Exorcist 3, I'm sitting here going, you have got to be shit. 